Hey everyone, this is Josh G. I just want to give a quick intro to this episode. This episode was recorded live. I had the co-host, the great Jeff Hunt from Jeff Needs Help, Jeff Needs Sports, and we had an awesome special guest, Andre Gower, who was very giving of his time to talk Monster Squad, just the, the business of acting in general. And there's a lot of sports talk in this one as well, so be warned about that. It was, it was fun. It was some fun tangents to go down, but... I know you're on a movie podcast, so just be warned. But anyways, just want to say, hey, thanks for listening. If you couldn't make the live show, at least I wanted you to be able to hear the interview because it was a great one. It did run long, but I wanted you to hear it in its entirety. And Andre will tell you, and don't you forget it. Jeff and Josh are uh, in the goddamn club. Once upon a time, it was one monster per movie. Those were the good old days. We're the Monster Squad. Oh. Only one way to kill a werewolf. Ah. Kick him in the nose! He's a monster! Do it! Do it! Wolfman's got nerves! The Monster Squad, rated PG-13. Alright everyone, and welcome to a very special live episode of Your Next Favorite Movie. I am Josh G. I am here with my co-host for the day from the Jeff Needs Sports and Jeff Needs Help podcast. Please welcome Jeff Hunt. Hey, everybody. And our very, very special guest, because this is the 35th anniversary of Monster Squad, technically about three weeks away, but we're close enough. And please welcome Andre Gower to the show. Thanks for having me. Hey, everybody. I just got to tell you, Josh, I can't stop smiling. <laughs> I can't stop smiling. All this came together. Anybody that's a podcaster knows how difficult this stuff can be and and how much, you know, and, and we appreciate, you know, to get a great guest like this on. And when it all comes together, um, you know, it's it's kind of a relief, but it's also it's it's also a pleasure. So Andre, thanks again for doing this, man. Um <laughs> I, I know I'm I'm gonna inundate you with with questions and and fan service and all that, but um it, to- it's gonna to- be a good time. Totally fine. I'm I'm well rested and uh, I stretched a little <laughs> bit. Uh, before so we are uh, we should we should be good you know inundate away inundate away awesome so we'll start at the beginning of course that is from basically from everything i've heard you were basically born into hollywood it sounds like (laughs) (laughs) that's the way it sounds to me you were born into this into the business right uh i guess kind of uh it was uh you know my sister uh, uh is a few years older than i am and she had uh, been very active in um, in the in the California pageant system up north, which uh, was actually completely different than like pageants you see today. It's not toddlers and tiaras. It's like that's that's horrifying, <laughs> absolutely horrifying. Um, uh, and someone had suggested that uh, you know to my mother uh, that uh, you know she should be doing commercials and and TV stuff and. Uh, apparently they said, well, which, which, which on-ramp is that? Let's go. And so, uh, they, uh, they moved down to LA and a few years after that, I was surprised here I come. So I was, uh, apparently I have been told many times that I was a surprise and I just keep on surprising. So, um, surprise, uh, yeah. And, you know, she worked a bunch and, you know, when you're a infant and a toddler, I guess you're going everywhere, you know, that your family or your older sister goes. And uh, uh, I was just sort of around it, uh, I believe. And I think I was just sort of next 
if that you know if that makes if that makes sense uh you know a lot of people ask like so you know um you know what made uh, what drove the decision to really get into you know acting and i said well you know i was five and i was sitting <laughs> in my office, i was sitting in my office and i was contemplating what i was going to do in my next career move and you know i was like you know i did the whole toddler thing so you know now maybe it's like let's be a professional actor um i don't you, think that's what yeah, happened exactly. you're like you I'm, I'm, your... yeah i've mastered the big wheel um, that's right. I'm, yeah, I'm on to I, I'm on to two way before my peers. So let's uh, like go do business stuff. And um, you know, I just think I was sort of around it. I was next. Uh, apparently, I was comfortable with it. Um, you know, for the most part. And I think that has a lot to do with it, especially with kids. Uh, but look, you know, let's be honest. You know, when you're five, you're usually not making all of the decisions. Um, you know, there are, there are things being made for you and you are being taken places and put in situations, whether, um, that may be what you penciled in for your day or not. Um, you know, cause, uh, you know, I was five and had my Palm pilot and, you know, it's like scheduling my activities, of course, but I think it was a pencil and a crayon or something. Like uh, but, uh, yeah. And so I just started being around it and, and, and more active and started doing a lot of commercials and uh, TV spots and a lot of print work back then. There's not, there was a ton more printed material back in the seventies and early eighties than there is today, uh, much to the chagrin of the trees, but um, you know, which I'm totally fine that there's not as much printage <laughs> anymore. Uh, but uh, yeah, there was a lot of print work, a lot of brochures and, and, and catalogs and, magazines and advertisements and because there was no internet so you know you had to get it off the coffee table and off the newsstand and so you know my sister and i actually worked a lot together when we were very young and then um you know i gave you know eight nine ten years old and i started actually you know actually working pretty regularly you know in in tv and film and um just it just kept going and going so you know then you get into the teenage years and it you know becomes bonkers so so I've, I've always wondered this about, you know, really young actors like yourself, you know, obviously by the time, you know, everybody sees you in the monster squad, like you seem like a veteran actor. So, and, and you started so young, you don't, like you say, you don't really know a difference. Yeah. So I'm like, is, was there a point, like, I, I don't know how it's, do you come to a rel, rel, you know, revelation at a young age to where you're like, okay, I realize that, I mean, cause you're a professional, like you're doing something professionally. You're, you're helping somebody, you're working for a business. Is, is there a time you realize it or is it just kind of like, this is what I do. And it's something you look back on 20 years later, like, wow, I, like I was part of a corporation and it didn't hit me. I'm, I'm so curious about that. I, I actually think it's a little bit of both. If, if that's a fair cheat answer, um, <clears throat> you know, when you're, when you're young, you just know you're doing something that not everybody else is doing. You understand that. Uh, you understand it's it's work. It's a job. Uh, you've got, you know, a lot of people think being a kid in the business or on a set is like just a giant adventure and, and like this fun game type thing. And you're like, you know what? Some of it can be fun. However, you are up against the eight ball being the kid on a set because you are the hardest thing to deal with because <laughs> of laws and regulations. And, uh, you know, the adults never want the kid to be, the reason something goes wrong and uh, for, you know, punitive sake or, you know, penalty sake or time, you know, time, you know, cause when you're working in, in TV or film, like time is your enemy. And, you know, sometimes, you know, if kids aren't ready or if they aren't prepared, if, you know, you have a six year old and has a, you know, just has a meltdown or something, you know, which can happen. That's those leads to that's, that's tough. And that happens a lot. So 
I think that's one of the, I had a kind of temperate kind of attitude or a temperate, uh, you know, character um, to where I could kind of focus and, and, and really understand what was going on and achieve what I was being asked to do. And that's really all you're doing when you're really young, Jeff, like you're, you're being shown something, told words to say, a position to stand in and somewhat sort of cutesy way to do it. And really what you're doing is at that time, you're mimicking the people that are telling you what to do. Uh, but you, and so you bring your own kind of thing to it and then you understand how to do it after a while and, 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 and you just go from there, you know, you know, take, Take, for example, like Ashley Bank in The Monster Squad. She's five years old making a major motion picture. <laughs> and she ends up being the hero of the movie yeah. with a lot of serious stuff to do and some language and some stuff. Does she know everything that she's saying? No, she's five. Right. Does she understand what she's trying to do and how to do it? Without a doubt. And Ashley was absolutely it, amazing uh, incredible. You know, on this set. because, and And that's what usually kind of sets the kids apart. Uh, from the other kids uh, at any time in the industry. Uh, you know, back in my day when I was, you know, five to 15, there was, you know, a finite amount of kids in the business. There wasn't as much work either. And there wasn't as much work that was geared towards kids. This is before cable, before internet, before any of this stuff. So you had three networks and then a fourth years later, some syndicated stuff and some movies. That was it. And, you know, I think at any one time, I always say this. So if anybody's heard me on a podcast, this is uh, you're, you're going to think you're being indoctrinated into a into a, <laughs> into a machine. But um, I, I see it as about 20 percent of the kids do 80 percent of the work because that's the top of the list that knows what they're doing. They'll get cast. They look the right way. They act the right way and they can handle the job. And if you kind of look back, you kind of see that because there's a ton of kids that you grow up with in the industry that never do anything. <laughs> They're always around the auditions. They just <laughs> they just never get it for some reason. Or once in a while, they get one or two things. And, and that's just how it goes. I feel fortunate enough that I was probably part of that 20 percent that got to do, you know, you know, more than one thing. Um, but, yeah, you know. And then, you're, you know, as you grow up a little bit, you kind of understand a little bit deeper what's going on. I was. But I also was very fortunate because uh, I had a blend of both worlds. And that was a big focus of myself and uh, my parents uh, and everybody around that knew me. So when I wasn't working, uh, you know, so when you're working, you're out of, you know, if it's school time, you're, you, you have to go to school every day on the set. It's a, it's a, it's a state law. And you have to have a certain amount of hours uh, each day. There's a teacher on set that is also your professional advocate, like making sure you're not being put into like, you know, a lava pit or a raging river or something, <laughs> or, you know, getting thrown off a building. And, you know, it's, it's very regimented. Uh, and, but I also had a very, when I wasn't working, I would be in my regular school, which I loved all my schools. I loved every school I went to, except for one. I loved every school I went <laughs> to. Um, and that was only for a very short amount of time. I wanted to love it. It just didn't want to love me back. And, um, it, you know, I played sports on the side. I had friends that were not in the industry. And so I had this very kind of talk about foot in two different ponds. Jeff, was, yeah. you know, before we start recording, it was, uh, you know, this is the ultimate two, you know, foot in two different ponds. I had an industry, you know, existence and a non-industry existence. But that was also very important to balance out who you were and how you learned things. And I think they both helped each other. Uh, because school, I'm one of those weird 
weird kids that said, I love school. Everybody hated school. Usually kids hated school because it was boring and they didn't do well. Um, I love school because I love being around my friends and I love learning. <laughs> and, uh, you know, sometimes you didn't want to go to school and they retired, but I, I, I enjoyed it. I loved, you know, playing with my friends during lunchtime. I loved learning stuff. I had great teachers. Uh, I liked to read, which is very rare, you know, with kids. And, um, you know, I, I could process all that. I could absorb it and I could use it. And like I said, I think those two disparate worlds actually reinforced each other. Though, if that makes sense. And I, oh, no. I, I, I feel very fortunate that I don't think a lot of us got that. Yeah, it totally. It totally does. And, and this is what I've thought about a lot, you know, through all this, because, you know, you, you listen to all this and I, I think about, and I think a lot of it's because, you know, we're basically the same age and I remember the point in time and it just, it was a different, it literally, it feels like a different planet. And like, if you, if like 1980 <laughs> feels like a different planet than we live on now. And I, but I think that comes through a lot and that's why this movie connects so much to me, you know, as 12 year old, when I see this movie is because it, it feels so authentic. Like I know these guys are actors, but it really feels like you lived in the same world. I do like it. I mean, you know, everything, everything about it. I'm like, that's me and my friends. Like we're riding the bikes. We're doing this. Uh, some of my favorite stuff about the movie is like, no, 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 we got to leave the adults out of this. They're just going to screw this up. <laughs> and that real that really hit home, but it, but it comes across and like, you know, the way you can, the way you drum up the in, the intensity in that role with that age, it, it 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 stood the test of time. And but that makes sense because you you were in that world too. You know, you weren't just a, you know, you weren't a you you weren't sheltered from that. You know, you were allowed to live in that world. And then you, I th it feels like it carried over to the set. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. I, I I'm I'm sure, and that's even more of a kind of you know drilled down example uh, of actually being. Um, you know, you know, in a story that's in any town USA at a certain time in, you know, history. Whereas, you know, I wasn't a 13 year old trying to play a kid running around Europe during World War sure, I. I have no sure. idea what that would be like. Um, I wouldn't want to. That'd be awful. <laughs> but uh, yeah, riding the bikes, you know, going around the neighborhood, you know, you know, dealing with monsters, you know, dealing with parents. Uh, there was a lot of stuff going on that was very, very current. <laughs> and oh. that's and and that's what I think on that those undertones of what was going on, either on the bikes or in the treehouse or, uh, you know, in the parents' living room. Uh, you know, a lot of kids related to all of that. And that's what I think was really different about Monster Squad and what Shane and Fred uh, had on the page connected. Uh, yeah. And I don't think it was necessarily intentional. It was just what was real at the time. And, you know, that that kind of jives with, you know, over the years, everybody asked me to, you know, kind of distill down why Monster Squad has that, you know, connection and that ability to, to last. Uh, it's because it's the heart and authenticity of the characters and the story, what they were doing. But uh, look, look, it's a bunch of we're fighting monsters that don't exist. They're supernatural with magic powers. It's like it's like completely fantasy. Right. And yet everybody says that was us. That was real. That could have been yep. us. We wanted to do that. And I think it's the archetypes of the adventure and the characters and everything that uh, everybody wants to be one part of a cool group of, of friends that, you know, you know, have each other's backs or understand each other. And whether it's just sitting around reading comic books or sitting around, you know, talking about Robotech when, you know, five kids in your entire school know what the hell it is, <laughs> uh, you know, that's okay. Uh, or, you know, going out in the woods and buildings, you know, it's, it's, it, it, everybody connects to something different. And I think that's what happens in Monster Squad. And it's fascinating to see over the years, 
that get reinforced and be, and, and people, you know, just say, that's exactly what it was. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I, it spanned the test. Like I, you know, immediately as soon as my son was old enough to not, not say like old enough to like, you know, legally watch it or whatever, like old enough to remember it first Halloween show I showed him. Uh, my nephews right. was the same way. It's like, it's a generational thing that like, that's just like one of the first things I've got a grandson on the way within the next seven days. And oh. I will promise you <laughs> that as soon as, as soon as can be the monster squad is going to be like, it's it real. Everything you said, it's so authentic. It stands the test of time. It is, it's a time capsule. It's, it's really a time capsule. I'm sorry, Josh. I didn't mean to hijack the show. I told you I was going to be a bit to handle today. <laughs> Well, actually, I wanted to jump back a little bit to something you said. You were talking about how as a kid, you know, be basically in a way you're being dragged to these things to do. What at what age do you think you started to make the decision and what you wanted to go for as far as parts wise? 40 roles. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> 40. Um, uh, I only say that because I know Dorothy's not listening um, and Dorothy is my mother. Um no, uh, and and no, again, like she was great. She's really the you know really kind of the driving driving force slash factor, but you know behind behind all of this. That, uh, but was also you know right there and making sure nothing went askew. And uh, might have been a little little bubbleish, little protective, but you know after the you know you're like that's okay. Um, that probably worked out you know better for everybody. I you know I think you, you don't really get this. Unless you're really look, I, you know, I talk about the twenty percent of kids or people in the business that, that work. Unless you're that one percent, you're not choosing or picking stuff per se. However, I did. I was very fortunate enough. I got to the point in a career where you would get, uh, you know, the chance to skip the original auditions, you would get straight offers, you would get uh, or go straight to network or straight to producers, if anybody knows kind of the, the timeline of a casting process. Uh, you know, there's two, there's two, there's two or three preliminary steps, and then like, maybe one or two final steps. And for a number of years, in, in my teenage years, I was, I just went straight to the final one or two, you know, kind of casting steps. And then there's also this things where you actually just get you know, you do that and then you get offered multiple things, which is, you know, that's the brass ring, right? That's, you know, if you're, if you're getting multiple, you're getting cast in multiple things, you're like, now, now you get to choose which ones you can do or want to do. Sometimes it's scheduling, sometimes it's contractual. You can't do, I missed out on more than one thing because I was contractually uh, stuck in something else that may or may not have even be happening, but I was unable to do other things that I'd be offered uh, due, due to that contract. Um, and, and those are big examples, but all of us, get, we all have, it's not just me. We all have some like, ah, oh, I couldn't get to do that movie or that show or like, ah, oh. and, uh, you know, I have a few and, uh, we all do. And those are great stories to trade, you know, when you get together and, and, um, you know, say how great everybody looks when you haven't seen them in 10 years or so. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when I was a teenager coming out of monster squad, uh, I had a very, and look, and I understand and appreciate the hell out of this because I had a very unique television career leading up to Monster Squad because I had the fortune to be, I don't want to say discovered, but kind of brought into the world of people like Michael Zinberg and Randy Zisk. Michael Zinberg was this already big you know, TV executive that had worked on big shows in the 70s and 80s. Randy Zisk was a new executive that was coming in on network television shows. And 
I got cast in a show called Fathers and Sons. And it was a very cool concept. It was about four boys and their fathers and the relationships with them. It was a big network show. Uh, and I had, you know, I had already done a couple sitcoms, already done some guests, you know, I'd, I'd done series leading up to this, but this was sort of that paradigm shift uh, in, in a career when you're 13 <laughs> or 12. And um, it, it got to the point where I was doing a bunch of shows off the 20th Century Fox lot because of Zinberg and, and, and Zisk. Um, they were developing shows that I was going to be in or be potentially be the lead in. And that's just how Hollywood goes. Um, but I did a number of shows, you know, with this same group and that translated into great things because had old break, got cast in the monster squad. Uh, and then coming out of monster squad, Fox becomes the fourth network. And because I was doing these shows, I had had a relationship with the studio, with the things so it was sort of in house. And, you know, Fox originally had six or seven shows and I got offered two of them and I had to choose uh, or we had to choose. And, um, you know, I ended up choosing uh, Mr. President, uh, you know, because it was Johnny Carson's production company. Ed Weinberger was the producer and it was starring George C. Scott, <laughs> you know, coming out, you know, so, you know, what show are you going to, and it was guaranteed <laughs> to go two seasons and they were paying above, above scale. And that was the no-brainer decision at the time. Of course, the other show that I didn't take ended up, you know, going for much longer, becoming a, a worldwide phenomenon <laughs> for 10 or 12 years. But uh, what, leading up to that, uh, you know, these shows that I've been doing off the Fox lot, one was called Heart of the City, and it had three kids in it. And one was the son and daughter of the, of the, of the detective. It was a, it was a cop show. Uh, and one was a criminal, and I got to play the criminal. And the three kids on the show were uh, myself, Jonathan Ward, and Christina Applegate. Oh, geez. And this show only went one or two seasons. Um, I, I was a recurring character. He arrests me in the pilot because I'm a I'm a 12 year old crack dealer, and I shoot a kid in the first episode. And um, I am in on this show. Super 80s, super 80s. Uh, well, a little ahead of its time, a little dark. Um, and I, I, I think it needed to actually be darker <laughs> to, and then it would have caught, you know, it would have caught a little bit, but those three kids coming off of that cop show ended up on three shows on the new network, you know, two years later. And it's all because of that connection going back three, four years prior to that. And then coming out of monster squad. And then, so, you know, when monster squad comes out and bombs at the box office, I had already been, you know, contract and cast in a brand new TV show on the new network starring George C. Scott for two seasons. So, you know, the impact of a movie failing seemed to not be a factor. Um, you know, and sometimes it's a, it's, 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 it's a different story. Uh, who knows? I mean, if Monster Squad had been different and I'd done these two, who knows what would have happened? We probably would have done Monster Squad 2 and we fight Godzilla. But, um, oh. you know, it's a different, uh, or Godzilla. Actually, I always Now I'm Godzilla. just upset that I didn't get that movie. I always wanted, when we talked about the Godzilla thing, I always said, why can't Godzilla be our friend? And like we fight invaders or something. Like Godzilla's oh, a good my guy. Goodness. Godzilla's not a bad dude. He didn't ask to be Godzilla. No, he's misunderstood. He, yeah, he's misunderstood. No one just like Jaws. Ask, be a radio. Uh, that, no, we're not. I, I, okay, down that Jeff, did you just say like Jaws? Yeah, I'm a Jaws defender. Jeff, have you you need to? There's a podcast called uh, The Daily Jaws that I did, and it's one of my favorite things I did because I I deep dove pun intended on some Jaws shit and oh, uh, talk. I I I defend Jaws as the character. <laughs> yeah, take that, Josh. 
I, I literally Jeff did a is whole... a Jaws the Revenge defender. Let's clear <laughs> this up. Man, hey, I always said original. this. <laughs> this the last thing we'll say before because I've got Josh sidetracked on this way too many times over the years. I'm just saying the Brody family could have left the shark alone. Just leave them alone. Like they went to the Bahamas. <laughs> they went to the Bahamas and it followed them. Come on, Jeff. All right. Hey, the, 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 the shark is just sharking. He's just yeah. being a shark. He's only he's he knows nothing else but to be a shark. And we don't like that. This it's is my very, greatest it's very human. podcasting. It's a very it's a very human it's very shitty human story. It's like we're just humans. We don't like this. We're gonna kill you. Yeah, not, not in the revenge. That's not the story in the revenge. I, I, I know. I get. It. We're talking about the original. Anyway, there you go. I'm sorry, but uh, like anyway, it. you know, going going back to the day, I Josh, I think you had a question. I don't know if I answered. I started like ten going no, off the tangent on the backstory, but um, you know, those are times that you know I got fortunate enough to be offered multiple things and you get to choose, and um, you know, whether after the fact it's the right choice or the wrong choice, uh, that's up to history to decide. Well, I think what's a, like it's amazing about it, and I forget about this until every time I start the movie, I'm like, "You were, I know you weren't, you weren't 12 when the movie came out. You were 12 when you filmed Monster Squad, correct? Uh, I was 13 when we shot it. It came out. Okay, I turned 13. 14 when we shot it. Yeah. You're the top build actor in a major motion picture at, at 13. That's amazing. I mean, that's that's that is yeah. like that's immortal stuff right there. Every time I see it, I'm like. You know, a lot of times they'll even just not do that because like, like, I don't know, they would have, um, I, I apologize. Uh, like they might've put, uh, Mary Ellen as the top sure. bill just because or whatever, or yeah. Or no, Duncan Regeer who had been in more stuff or, you know, different exactly, things. So. But no, it's, it's right there, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, that is, I mean, that is things that people just don't reach that point of the mountain you know what i mean like you you're you're you start getting into that one percentile right there and then to have these conversations about i mean i i would say every actor i don't care what they did their entire career how successful there's so many what ifs because it's just okay. you know what they call sliding doors like it yep. is just like th th this could have this could have been this this could have been this i don't care if you're tom cruise i don't care if you're somebody that had one commercial when you were three that it the what ifs have to just they, they just have to be they just have to mount up but you have seemed to you know you you seem like a fully functional like adult rational you know that that has lived this life and came out the other side and recognized what it was rather than you know we don't always see it turn out this way well you would think i just cover i'm actually wearing no pants and i have big giant clown shoes on right now so you know the unbalanced <laughs> like you know, uh, actually that'd be pretty funny um yeah, but I, you know, what you mentioned there, I think the uh, that, that that's actually two. It's it's more than one thing that you mentioned there, Jeff. Um, I mentioned, I know, I I have the, that problem. You know, the, the first card thing, yeah, pretty cool. You know, it, it doesn't matter if you're trying to be, you know, smooth about it or whatever. That's you know, that's you know, Paul Newman's first card. Hundred <laughs> you know, percent. I mean, know, that's, that's some cool stuff. So, yeah. and I and I don't know who else really character wise would have been. So I don't know if it was just by default. I don't know if it was no. me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, uh, that's pretty cool. It, it really is. Um, and, you know, go, you know, going forward, you know, of, of, of being balanced or halfway rational or sane, whatever, whatever we were talking about there, um, I'm not going to show you the giant clown shoes, but, um, <laughs> the, uh, I, I think that has to do a lot with having a balanced, uh, world and life of having, 
you know, I don't want to call it the normal world. I don't want to call it the real world because, you know, Hollywood's fake. It's not, it's that, it's just a different, I lived in two parallel universes that didn't yeah. really cross over and they kind of, they, they kind of just went, you know, together and everyone's, you know, you could, depends on, you know, which way you lean and where you're at. And I think having a concerted effort on my part, cause it was, it was very important to me and it became very important to my parents and everybody else around that knew me that that was an important thing. I, can count on, I need more hands to count on a lot of my friends that I grew up with in the industry that are still good friends of mine that have not done anything else. They don't know anything else. They can't do anything else. Or if they do, it's kind of, you know, it's not, they're not making it happen for themselves. It's like, I, so I, you know, the well-roundedness, I don't, you know, I think that being at growing up in the industry was not the dominant force. It was a major part or a major component of multiple components as I was growing up uh, that balanced me out or gave me a foundation to kind of, you know, be an idiot on later <laughs> <laughs> and, and do a bunch of random stuff that means nothing. <laughs> oh, I but it's all about that. experiences. It's all about experiences. Okay, so I have a question with the casting. Cause I know you've said it over and over, you went for Rudy, mm. they called you back and gave you Sean. What I want to know, were you going for Rudy because that's the kind of kid you were? Or is that the kind of kid you wanted to be? Because as a child watching this movie for the first time, Rudy was the coolest, most badass dude I've oh, ever seen. I was a Sean. I was a Sean 100%. <laughs> no, when I was a kid, I was I like cut eight. My, I had the barber cut my hair like Sean. Okay. Oh, sorry. I to Sean. <laughs> I, you're not wrong, but oh. I was all in. I was like, I want to look like this guy. Yeah, I didn't you know, do that when he rides up on that bike and lights that that match. I was like, off he's, cool. off he's watching now, uh, watching now. It's like what a great, what a he's great wearing. I'm like, what character. But but as a kid, man, that was awesome. What were you? What were you hoping? You know, if, if we're comparing, and then I'll get into the actual kind of you know okay. stroke by stroke of what happened. Um, I I was a little bit of both. Uh, I was always, I always had my own kind of style. Uh, I liked different eras. Um, you know, I always had great hair with a lot of hair product. Now I just have medium hair product and not a lot of great hair, um, <laughs> or, or less great hair. Uh, getting old sucks, but, um, we're getting older sucks. And really what it is, it kind of ties into what I was mentioning before my body of work and TV leading up to that. Cause you asked what, kind of kid was I and it really wasn't me it was about the body of work leading up to that and that's what kind of affects the auditions or the submissions or the requests and that show fathers and sons uh I was out of the four kids I was the cool kid leather jacket jelly hair cool clothes like Hawaiian silk shirts and like they oh, actually man. went into the 20th century fox wardrobe department and pulled stuff from the 50s for me to wear in that show and because really what was awesome about the show what happened that ended up making the show not happen like we did the pilot this is a big nbc show called fathers and sons about four kids honestly it's just a monster squad group of kids it's 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 the you know fun maybe a little overweight kid uh the leader cool you know, you know a, a dorky kid that's really smart um and the cool kid you know, his name was Sean, uh, ironically, in this show, too. Uh, but and we all had our relationships with our fathers. And like, you know, the, the big redheaded kid's dad was the coach. Um, the, you know, kind of uh, the, the more what we would call the nerdy kids. Dad was a doctor. 
Um, the other kid's dad was uh, a cop and my dad was the absent father skirt chasing divorced parents story. And that had a lot to do with storylines. The problem we do this pilot, and one, one of the reasons the show was great is because it had Merlin Olson. Oh my from, goodness. You know, uh, you know, the NFL and Little House yeah. on the Prairie and Father Murphy coming in to lead another network show. Um, it had Nicholas Guest, who was the dad of the of, of, of Ian, the the kind of nerd the, the nerdier kid. And uh, my dad was Ricky Nelson returning to television what? from Ozzie and Harriet. And being, you know, a worldwide rock and roll heartthrob. And so Ricky Nelson was coming back to television. It was a huge deal. And we do the pilot. It gets picked up for five episodes as, a, you know, an end of the season kind of plug in. And then if those episodes go well, they'll pick it up for a full run for the next season. And that's how television worked back then. So we do the pilot. Network likes it. It turns out okay. They air it. Like everybody's like, ooh, like Merlin Olsen, Ricky Nelson. Um, that awesome kid, Andre Gower, is in the show. No. And um, it gets picked up for these five episodes. In between that pickup and starting shooting those five episodes, Ricky Nelson dies in a plane yeah. crash. And he dies, and so does the show, because that's kind of the star power. And so we do the five more episodes, and it just doesn't get picked up for the run, because it doesn't have that oomph. Um, and that's what names and faces will you know, do you know, for shows. Um, but I was the cool kid on that. And then also in that show, Heart of the City, the cop show, ironically, uh, playing the criminal, spiky hair, leather jacket, running around in camouflage pants in downtown L.A. and like getting chased oh. by the cops. You know, that was, uh, yeah, that was, uh, you know, kind of the badass. Uh, I was a little badass, you know, but, you know, it was it, it was cool. And so automatically, you know, with your headshots of the time and your body of work leading up to this, you know, random casting thing for some movie with monsters in it uh, and your agent's going to you know submit you for these roles. And I went and screen tested. I went audition, screen test, callback, all for Rudy. Never auditioned for Sean Crenshaw. And um, I know why I didn't get Sean Crenshaw. Because uh, uh, Ryan Lambert went in there and murdered it and <laughs> became Rudy. He became Rudy. Yeah, there's no other Rudy. Like, I mean, I've heard you and say that. And could I have been Rudy? Sure, I would have had the hair. Absolutely. It would have been a little campier, laid-back Rudy. Ryan brings this whole other thing just with his physical look, but also – you know, he, you know, he talks about it later. It's great. You know, Rudy has a little bit more vulnerability than just the, but he's not the badass badass. He's a little vulnerable badass. Like he needs to be part of this as well. It's, it's fascinating. And um, it, 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 we all end up in the, in the correct places. And so they, but somebody, I always, you know, I actually talked with Fred about this on a podcast a couple of weeks ago. I was like, I, it's been 35 years and I don't know of the group of people, which is probably four to six individuals when they're deciding on who the lead of this movie is going to be. I never auditioned for it. So they're not thinking of me for that. Yeah. And, you know, somebody said, what about that kid we read as Rudy? Could we wash the gel out of his hair? Could we give him a bad haircut? Sorry, Jeff, give him a bad haircut. <laughs> uh, you know, put him in some clothes that don't fit great. And uh, could he be the, you know, kind of, you know, bossy around, you know, kind of gang leader. Yeah. You know, squad, squad lead. And they all apparently said, yeah. And I, you know, if Fred believe, I think it was Peter Himes maybe. So, uh, you know, thank you, Peter. Um, but it's also thank you to everybody else. Shane, Fred, uh, Peter, Penny Perry, the casting director, you know, all these people went, yeah, that's it. That's, that's the answer. 
didn't call me in for a meeting, didn't audition for it, just wow. straight cast me as Sean. And that's, and obviously, you know, when I get the call, people, it's like, I was a little, I was depressed. I was, I was disappointed because <laughs> we all wanted to be Rudy. And uh, I was, I was closer to anybody in the world of being Rudy. And, um, but it just didn't work. Uh, and I was a little disappointed because I was like, no, Rudy's the cool character. He gets to, he gets to kill more monsters. He's does the scene with, because the audition scene was the pull up on the bike. Um, that was the main audition scene and the scene in the treehouse talking to Patrick's sister, um, which is always awkward um, sitting in a room full of adults asking a teenage girl if she's a virgin or not. And, um, you know, try to be cool about it uh, when yeah. you're drinking, a, when you're drinking a beer in a treehouse, And, um, you know, it it all it all worked out. It all worked it, there, out exactly the way it's supposed to. My guess is that just just by by watching the performance then and just every you know just seeing you know you through the years and listening to the interviews, my guess is that they were probably just watching you interact with other people because it it jumps off the screen what a natural leader you were. Like it it it, it like it everybody like it makes so much sense like everything you say my favorite scene is when you know you've decoded the message you know off the phone you're in the treehouse everybody's goofing around and you finally are just like lay down the law but i mean it is really a great scene and it it is genuine how everybody just you know and it makes sense why you're a point guard like i i totally get like, I'm, <laughs> yes. I'm like well of course he was a point guard you know what i yeah. mean so my guess is that like everybody's just watching you interact with the adults, with the other, you know, actors and everybody. And they're like, this kid's just, there's just something I, I would imagine it's been like that your whole life. You probably go into a group, whatever it is, I, it, it could be a golf outing and everybody's like, okay, you're, you, you know, you're, you're in charge. Like you just feel like someone that they're probably like, you're in charge because it just jumps off the screen. And I think honestly, that's the one ingredient um, that makes the movie work like it does. Well, I, one, I appreciate that. Not a lot of people, uh, they, they, they talk, they, they, they touch on that a little bit, but they don't go as deep or probably where it really is as, as, as you did, Jeff. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's, what's great about cool podcasts when it work out like this is, you know, things kind of come back on themselves and come for, and it was that, that balanced world, you know, having experiences and different things instead of just faking it, yes. you know, cause that acting is pretend. Um, you've either got to pretend to be a space alien, or you've got to pretend to be a fighter pilot, or you've got to pretend, you know, to be, you know, uh, a soldier in World War One. <laughs> like, but no one knows what that's like. Uh, I don't know what it's like to fight supernatural creatures, uh, you know, in a swampy any town USA. Uh, but I do know what it's like to interact with a group of friends. I do know what it's like to sort of be the one that's looked to to, uh, you know, kind of lead the charge, so to speak. Because I grew up playing sports, that's a that's a team thing. Uh, I played individual sports too, but uh, you know, you know, you play baseball and soccer and and and, and basketball, um, and these are all things where you have coaches and you have team captains, and you have MVPs and you have you know coaches award winners and things like that. And the, the I, I there's no way that all of that doesn't permeate into in, in, into it all. And uh, I, I've always understood that. Um, I just let other people say it. <laughs> well, that's I mean, that's I mean, that's the definition of the leader. You know what I mean? It's not about it's about what I do. You know what I mean? It's like but you like and, and, and it's part of it's the writing, too. It's so well written. I mean, if in a, you know, you look at 
you know, Shane's career. Like, obviously, <laughs> he writes these dominant characters, like, you know, in these movies. And, and it's weird that it, it even comes through for a 13-year-old character. Like, it still comes through of, like, this, um, you know, this take charge, uh, action first, you know, kind of character. And I, I, it's, it's without a doubt my favorite part of it. All right, Josh, I'm sorry. Again. I'll well, be actually, quiet for like 10 minutes. Well, well, piggybacking off that, I just want to say for Shane Black, the only thing that's missing is Christmas, right? Like that's, that's right. Go to now. <laughs> right. Yeah. All these yeah. movies have Christmas in them somewhere. Yeah, they do, which I don't, you know, that uh I think that started uh I, I mean it started with Lethal Weapon and um never stopped. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Which I mean, uh, same year as this. Lethal but, Weapon comes uh, out. So. Yeah, actually, uh, Lethal Weapon got greenlit uh, while we were making Monster Squad, and uh, so that was a, that was a big deal. And um, you know, we didn't, you know, we never knew this, you know, kind of cool, really smart, funny, weird dude with glasses that was the co-writer of this movie that was on set, you know, for three and a half months with us is going to end up being, you know, the biggest screenwriter in Hollywood. <laughs> Uh, a juggernaut yeah especially right. for like people like me that like in, really enjoy his movies like, I, it, I, I, like yeah and when you know early proto shane stuff or you know been around him or or read those early scripts like i remember reading the script to the last boy scout before they made it oh, um wow. i don't know why i read it. i think he's I, like he had he gave it to me or i got to read it and uh i the movie's completely that's the problem with writing is you read something and you're like, Oh, I'm making this movie in my mind. And then someone else makes it and you're like, meh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, you know, and that happens. And what's funny with Shane black uh, and I'm not speaking for Shane, I'm speaking as an observer of what went on and, and you know, during the early nineties and, you know, Shane comes out of monster squad, comes out of lethal weapon, uh, ends up leaving right. the franchise because of, you know, they're, they're like tweaking the characters in a way that he's like, this is not, what these this guy is um and ended up not liking you know how things go you know studio wise in hollywood and um but then turns around and rips out the the two highest paid spec screenplays in the history of the industry back to back and is just this rock star of these movies yeah. that come out and then people don't like the movies movies are still okay they're just like not as good as they could have been maybe different director, maybe different cat, you know, whatever it is. Look, I think Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans is, is, is not a bad cast. Uh, you know, is Samuel L. Jackson and, and, and Gina Davis a bad kid? No, not at all. Um, and they were very de jour, right? They were, they were very names de jour. Yes. Uh, and that's what movies are. Uh, that's how they get made. Uh, I just, you know, th it's, it's always little tweaks. It's production design. It's costuming. It's, you know, rewrites. It's, you know, how a director cuts something or an editor, you know, finishes something. And, uh, you know, and then he goes on this big hiatus and, and comes out with what I think is his best movie is the one that wasn't going to get done ever. And uh, it's his comeback. And he's like, but I'm not letting anybody else direct my shit. <laughs> like I'm, <laughs> I'm directing this one. And there's a whole backstory with that one, but uh, you know he ends up doing it, uh, and they're like, "Yeah, no, you know that's not going to happen." <laughs> and they're like, "Well, then we're not making this." And he's like, "Oh, and by the way, I've written the two main characters for two specific actors." <laughs> and they're like, "Well, who are these actors?" And he tells him, and they're like, "This is never going to happen." This <laughs> is then think back. This is early two thousands with Val Kilmer and Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, yeah. Neither one of these guys is insurable and ever working again ever. Nope. Yeah, this but is yet, really the start of the comeback for RDJ, at least. 
Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. I, yeah. Uh, I think RDJ owes Shane Black Iron Man money. Uh, because, uh, and, and, and I think they do. I, I mean, you know, they end up, you know, doing other things, but uh, I, I think that's why Shane gets to write and direct Iron Man 3. But um, yeah, I mean, comes back and I think is, is look, Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang is my favorite Shane Black movie because he wrote it and directed it. Uh, I, I love the nice guys, but you have to watch it at least twice, sometimes two and a half times to to catch everything. It's a slow burn. It's a slow burn. It's a slow burn, but there's some little tweaks in there that I think Gosling and, and Crow are absolutely great with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, yeah, and then he resurrects two careers. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or three, you know, including himself. Um, and then, you know, it, I just think it's a neat story to be, you know, kind of tangentially connected to to, to, to cool shit like that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're, you're, like I say, we're talking about a movie that it, this movie is immortal. Like you're connected to like, it's, it's beyond cool. Like, I'm, you know, it, it really, it's, 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 it, it stands the test of time. It's, it'll, it'll never go away. It's just, it's just wonderful. It may not. I mean, we're, uh, it's uh 35th. <laughs> this is crazy. It, so uh, And it holds up. It really it holds up. Um, well, it, I love, it does. I don't it, know it when Josh is planning on getting into the documentary because no, yeah, I still have some other questions I want to ask. But I yeah, we're getting sure. there. We're getting there. Okay, we're I'm getting sorry. there. Okay. But anyway, it's I, I can't wait. Sorry, Josh. No, it no, does. Actually, you know, before Josh gets into his next thing, Jeff, you know, you touched on some stuff that uh, you know that you know, and I, I mentioned the stuff that Fred and Shane put on the page. Uh, uh, you know, unintentional or intentional. I think it's mostly unintentional that connected with the kids that watch this yep. movie. Uh, also, are they're they're archetypal. And they uh, they are Carl Jungian in 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 nature, and that's why it can still linger and 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 work today. Uh, you know, some of the wardrobe, some of the dialogue, some of the interaction, you know, is 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 is, is dated. Yeah. Uh, but the what connects with like the second generation, you know, you get ready to show your grandkid, you know, yeah. now that's third generation Monster Squad fan, you know, interaction. Uh, because the basic archetypes and the characters in the story, those are human archetypes. And, it, you know, when, when you read about that and you read about young, you know, Carl Jung and things like you're like, oh, these all Matt. OK, this is why this is why Star Wars, the first one works. It's yeah. very basic. It's good, evil, it's black, it's white, it, not race, it's black, it's white, it's the colors, you know, it's the coming together, it's good versus evil, it's people banding together and underdog circumstances like everybody reacts to the same stuff. Uh, on a visceral human uh, uh, mental level. Yeah, that's what. Uh, I would, uh, yeah, and and Monster Squad. You know, a lot of things. A lot of a lot of kids' movies. A lot of kids' groups' movies. Even from the seventies, which were even campier and more wow. awful. But when you get into the seventies, these are all written by usually by forty-five or fifty-year-old white dudes yep. that haven't been a kid in forty years, that have no idea what's going on. And like, well, what are the kids saying today? Let's write. Oh, uh, do they say G. Williger still? Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. That could be pressing the envelope. Um, you know, we might get an, uh, an R rating if we say gollywags. Um, and that's my like old guy in the 80s, you know, who was a kid in the 30s. Um, in case you didn't get the impression. Very correct. Uh, it, that holds up. I still think they said the same bad words, though. but uh, it, the the thing that I always you know emphasize is Fred and Shane just got out of being kids themselves, and that's what makes it work. Yeah. That's why it works. That's it. That's the secret. Everybody's like, "Why?" I don't understand. It's like it's very simple. The secret sauce is Fred and Shane 
were kids just a few years ago before, you know, as they were writing, they're, they're in college writing this story. Yeah. And it, they didn't write it as like what we think kids would talk like, like, no, like, again, no. as somebody in that world, it is like, and I understand the problematic stuff that comes up a lot. I get it. Yeah. But also that was still part of our world. Like that, sure. th- there was a snippet of the world that, you know, for, you know, things have changed obviously and gotten and some things have gotten better, but that was, that was just a cross section of our world. That's, that's what it was like. That's what it felt like. That's what it looked like. But I think there's, I think the other side of, there's a lot of stuff in the movie that's way more inclusive that, 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 that they don't give it credit for. Like, I think Rudy was very like, he could have been very judgmental of the team. He ought to, he wanted in the team. It wasn't like, they, they weren't begging him. Like, first of all, the huddle is just great huddle. Like, I mean, huddle, but the huddle's like move six inches closer. That's right. Decide this. But like Rudy wanted in the team, you know what I mean? He wasn't like, he didn't have to be drug into it because he was a cool kid. He wanted to be, right. and he automatically defended his friends that were in the team. Horace is one of the just great characters ever written, you know, for a movie period. Um, you know, you've talked about that a lot. So I think that as we talk about the, I won't. I don't want to call it problematic stuff, but obviously the stuff that stands out that sure is different than now. We also got to talk about like it was a little ahead of its time as far as it it treated kids my age with, like we were mature enough to handle it. Like this is what we're really talking about. You know what I mean? Like I don't know how to explain what it was what it was like to be a twelve or thirteen year old and your friends that had older sisters, but this is exactly what it was like. I mean, it, it's just, it's, it, it really is just a, it's a, it's again, it's a time capsule. So it, it is. And, and, and not that I don't ever feel like I have to defend cause I didn't write the movie. <laughs> I didn't yeah. write the movie. I, I was in it. Uh, but you know, when, when people bring up stuff that could be problematic today, it's, yes, it's problematic today. Uh, like I said, these are snapshots of an era. Uh, it was, it had heart and authenticity and that's why yep. everybody connected with it um but if you have to do that if you have to defend the problematic stuff uh it's very very easy with the counterbalance to what is there of how we treat each other yes uh how we uh, uh bring in other people uh how we actually even though we're saying words to our best friends they're not pejoratives uh, you know, even with, uh, you know, the, the character's name is Fat Kid on the page. On the page, yeah. It, it says Fat Kid on the, the page. That's his name. And we call him Fat Kid. We're the only ones that are allowed to do that. Why? Because we're his crew. Yes. He's, he's our, he's ours. We are his. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, they could sit around and call Sean, you know, unsufferable know-it-all or, <laughs> bo- you know, bossy bastard. Um, but also, Horace is Horace. It, it's it, if you. I don't ever compare Monster Squad to Goonies that much because they're completely different. But there's very almost yeah character for character. <laughs> yeah, we get it. Examples here, right? Uh, and with Chunk and Goonies, we never make fun of Horace. No, the, the Goonies crew makes fun of Chunk constantly. He is the source of their ridicule constantly. They make him dance to come in the yard. I mean, it's like this is not. We don't do that, and we don't we don't care. And I think it's almost like fact. Like he, uh, we own it. Like we yeah. call it, but we own it because it's out. Let's he's ours. We own it when he's he owns it. Like we call him that, and he doesn't care. 
uh, he only cares when someone doesn't love him and says, my name is Horace. Uh, Rudy is different because he needs to be involved in something. And I think all of the Ryan, you know, for years, the, the glasses, the hair, the leather jacket, the attitude, the gla- it's all, that's all, that's all armor. That's all armor for a vulnerable kid. And that's all a facade. And he needs to belong to something for that to come, for what's under that to come out and be who Rudy is. And then another counterbalance is we're a little ahead of the time, very Shane Blackish. The hero of the movie is the young girl. Yeah. <laughs> We'd all be dead <laughs> if it wasn't for Phoebe. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, that kind of, you know, keeps going on and on in, in, in Shane characters where there's always a young protagonist that is the hero. Uh, and a lot of times it's the young girl. And how great is that? Uh, you know, uh, so anytime you want to bring up you know, the stuff that's uncomfortable today, great. We can sit around and talk about it. Um, uh, but there's also a bunch of counter counters. A, a ton. A, yeah. a ton of just. Like that no said, other movies have. No, the movies, no, the movies no just story. got such a such a big heart and a, and, a, and a bond. And that's why the fans bond, too. Yeah. And that's, you know, that was a, a dynamic that we were unaware of. Because the movie bombed, you know, for 19 and a half years or whatever, we didn't know people gave a shit about this movie. Um, you know, I would go around, go to, I knew some people that seen it or had it or, you know, would run into you. Because uh, I was sort of out, you know, all through the 90s, I was out of that world. I went to college, uh, you know, I went to college for different things. I went to college in different areas that had no connection to L.A. or to Hollywood. Couldn't get further. I mean, it couldn't get more for, you know, rural, further away, small town, uh, you know, in, in kind of, you know, both the towns I went to college in. But, uh, you know, and that was okay. But you'd run into every once in a while. Oh, I know that. I love that movie. It's great. Sometimes it's, you know, it gets a little much, but uh, it wasn't all that. And then 2006 rolled around and realized that there was a gigantic yeah. legion of Monster Squad fans that had finally been able to come together over the last couple of years because of the internet. Yeah. Uh, and then we have this screening that just launches this resurgence that we thought was really, really cool and would last about six months. <laughs> okay, so well, I'm gonna I'm gonna address this to both of you as because you were the age in the '80s as well, Jeff. You talked about the dialogue, Nards. I learned Nards from this movie. Was, <laughs> oh, was yes. that a saying at the time? Nope, I got it from this movie. <laughs> okay, it might have been. I, I could be wrong. I think everybody got it from this movie yeah. because I don't, I've never, I had never heard it before. Nope. Uh, Jeff, where did you grow up? Uh, Central Ohio. Central Ohio. Okay. I'm yeah. getting ready to go to Ohio in a couple of weeks. So, um, I, and this is a great story because I read the script and we're getting ready to do, I, I actually say Nards first in the movie. I don't have the great line. Brent has the great line. No, I and I get I I, I, I have kick him in the nards, which is yep. pretty cool. But Wolfman's and, got nards. And again, nards, but, this is uh, where you were so committed. Like you were so committed. Like you were confident that kicking him in the nards would work. I love the commitment <laughs> like, in that scene. Hey, someone's got to make a he leadership says, call in the heat of something. It's perfect. He says what, and you j- you don't when all like, else fails. You don't hesitate. You're like <laughs> kick him in the nards when all else fails. But uh, what I love about the that is. Uh, I didn't realize until decades later that I, I, I was learning something. And I only realized I learned something from a story that Ryan realized years later that he told about himself. And it's, it's, it, it's a little 
people have heard it, but it, it helps with the, with the backstory. Like Ryan is uh, with the costumer uh, working on Rudy's wardrobe. And she has six or seven leather jackets. And like the third, third, or third or fourth one he puts on and she goes, oh, I think that's it. That's the one. That's the one. And Ryan's like, I don't know. I don't like this one. Like, I wouldn't wear this. And she goes, that's okay, dear. You're not playing you. You're, you're playing a character named Rudy who would wear that. And it was the right call. That was a great leather jacket. Um, so I didn't realize until years after I even heard Ryan started telling that story, which I was fascinated by, that he's like, oh, now I know what we're doing. We're making movies. This is how movies are made. It's not about me. It's not, it's, it's about these characters and, and, and storytelling and, 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 and learning how to do that. And he learned that, you know, in that moment, uh, it took me when I realized that there was, uh, you know, sometimes we learn by osmosis and we don't realize it for years later, but, uh, I would, I remember reading, we're getting ready to do that scene and look, I'm, you know, despite the haircut, sorry, Jeff, and the bad clothes, <laughs> Um, I, you know, I'm still me. I'm still, I'm, I'm from LA. I grew up here. Like I'm cool. Like I have, you know, hair product and, you know, I, I wore van slip-ons before van slip-ons were cool. Like I wore original van slip-ons, damn it, from the seventies. And, you know, I was, you know, I was, I'm, I'm LA. I'm cool. Right. I'm from the Valley. I'm, I'm even cooler because I'm from the Valley and, um, which doesn't necessarily make it cooler, but, um, I'm reading this page and I asked Fred, I was like, look, you know, can I change this? Like, I don't, I don't know what this word means. I've never heard it. And I feel really dumb saying it. Like, I, it's not a cool word. I wouldn't say this. And in that moment, Fred's response to me, I remember very well. He goes, tell you what, let's try it a couple of times as it is. And then maybe we'll try one or two with something else. We'll, 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 we'll pick something. And I don't even remember if we, if we got to changing it. To something that I would say. And I, I mentioned the Ryan story before because what Fred was doing at that moment was saying the same thing that the costumer said to Ryan. Because it's okay if you feel silly saying this word or you're uncomfortable saying this word. Because Andre's not saying this word. Sean Crenshaw's saying this word. And yeah. this is a word that Sean Crenshaw uses. Yep. Storytelling. That's movie making. And these are things you learn when you're 13 that you don't realize until you're 30. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think those are two great stories about something that just adds some, even some more depth to some amazing stuff that went down. Uh, if you don't realize it for years later, but yeah, Nards, um, thank, thank the maker as 3PO <laughs> would say that uh, I didn't change it or we didn't do it because it becomes one of the most iconic, it, things out of this movie it, it it becomes part of kid nerddom lexicon it's, it's a word i mean it is and I mean, it, it's now it a thing to certain circles if you say nards you know you're dealing with a monster squad you know member of the club <laughs> and you know honestly the selfish part of it is it made it really easy because there's no other title for the documentary <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, I'm. You said that I tried to think of one, and I was like, "No, they nailed it." Like, I cannot think of a better look. And we, it always was that. Damn. And then we had to sit down, being professionals, and and Henry and I, and Wes and I, and even my wife. You know, we we sat down and said, "Okay, what are some alternate titles in case this doesn't get cleared, or is this the right one? Are we, are we, should we be using Nards in this way? Like, it's not." Mm. 
and there was no there was no other title. Um, the the only other title that may have risen to the like a deep deep second place was the squad doc, uh, and that's what ended up being the handle you know for social media because it's easier because Wolfman's got nards one was taken. And two was way too long for a social handle. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yes, yeah, so, you know, someone's had that for years. And uh, so he's a, a, a dude has a podcast in Scotland, <laughs> uh, oh. but uh, it, who I've been, who I know now it's great, but um, it, yeah, Nards, you know, Josh didn't want to say it, didn't <laughs> know it. I'm sure it's, and I asked, I think it was some word that Shane may have heard or used in growing up in Pittsburgh area. And that's, you know, that's about it. And uh, I was like, look, us cool kids don't say that. Um, (laughs) But you know what? I wasn't playing a cool kid. I was playing Sean and, and we do say it. And I, it it became this thing, which is, you know, unthinkable, you know, unimaginable without, without nards in the world. And and, And it's the conversation between, you know, Sean and Horace about it like the you know the commitment to saying it then the what and then it's like he said it 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 doesn't come off as like some silly thing and like it that, that that just became what me and my friend said like we're just like well that's what it is now you kick somebody in the nards like yep. if right. we we're playing football you got hit in the nards like it it never <laughs> it, that's just what it became instantly like uh that, now can you imagine how nards would have been how big nards would have been if the movie succeeded <laughs> well, you know what you're talking probably, about a small group of people that saw this movie at that time and it well, still became a you, thing you, imagine uh, if it was this huge box office success that everybody that, saw that's i mean that's, we would have been making like you know oh, there would have been nards studios and yeah. like you know it would yeah. have been crazy it would have been, been a stuff. Nards ride at Disneyland. It would have been. Incredible. It would have been stuff like Marty McFly. Everything he says in Back to the Future, like became like you know. Right. But what's so funny? I told Josh before the show not to derail you again, Josh. But it is so funny that you bring up like imagine if it's it's weird that twelve year old me, thirteen year old me, because there is no internet, because there is no social media, all there is is my little world, my bubble. I. I did not know until like decades later, like you guys say that it wasn't the biggest movie ever because that's all I knew because it was, right. it was part of my life. Like it, everybody I knew watched it every. And I said, what all I could come up with is like, yeah, but I'm 13 year old. Jeff didn't have disposable income. He didn't have a say I, I didn't have Disney plus to click on it. You know, a million right. times I didn't have Netflix. They, they don't know. And I don't know that nobody knows. All I know is that everybody I know, but who's that? It's a bunch of 13 year olds in a, in a, in a, yeah. In my, in my globe. And so when I hear years later that like, if you would have told me when this was the first time I ever looked, you know, at the IMDB and everything, I'm like, Oh good. It's got a good percentage, which is crazy for an eighties movie. And then I looked at like, you know, the gross and stuff. And I was like, well, this can't be right. This is one of the biggest movies of all time. I don't understand what I'm seeing here. And then I, when I start digging into the research, I'm blown away. Yeah. And so it, it's so weird for someone like me and I don't care. Like I still look at it as one of the greatest movies of my life and I don't, doesn't matter what it did, but it is such a, you know, that's why your documentary was so enlightening. I'm like, I had no idea. Like I really like for the last, you know, for the 30 years plus, I'm like, I don't know. It's just one of the, everybody's seen. It. It's one of the biggest movies ever. Right. And, and I always wondered, like, I, you know, I told Josh, I'm like, I assume there'd be seven of them. I assumed I'd have action figures. Like, you know, I, and, and but you and don't think about been, it. There would have been. Yeah. And but then uh, you hit 15 I, or 16 and honestly it fades, you know, it fades. And then sure. other things become really important in high school. Mm. 
And so it's not like you have all this what time. Are those, to... Jeff? <laughs> yeah. What are those? Um, Economics. You know yes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, World history. So, so it is so funny. And then, and then as you, you know, I have a kid, and then all this stuff starts coming back around, and I'm like, why can't I find this movie? I don't, I don't understand why it was so hard for me to dig it up. And then once I've seen the story, I'm like, I had no idea that I lived on the other side of the story, to where I didn't realize that this was happening. And and that's why I think uh, that was a big part of the documentary that, because it is the history of this movie. It's it's part of that 30 year story, yeah. and a lot of people were blown away. Um, that it wasn't because they just grew up and thought it was the coolest yep. movie and the, their favorite thing. And it just, it, 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 imp, it imprints as that because no one's reading trade magazines. No nope. one's reading, you know, <laughs> box office numbers when we're 13, uh, except for us. Um, and, you know, and, and it was, it was, it was a difficult kind of two weeks or maybe a week. It was just two weekends where we drove around to like, go see how it's going. And you realize that no one's in these theaters. And, uh, you know, what's what's really, you know, tragic about it is uh, or disappointing about it is, you know, what it could have been if it was was a hit or, or why. And, you know, we we look we look into the why a little bit in the documentary, because uh, I think there's four to six answers that, you know, contributed to it. And. But, you know, but but in 1987, it's different today for things that you guys have mentioned uh, in this context, but. 97, you have some, I'm sure it's 19, some dude in a double-breasted suit at some studio or uh, movie chain going, okay, this movie's coming out. Uh, it's got to reach this number by Sunday afternoon, otherwise it's gone. And that's how they did it. Like, if your movie didn't reach some arbitrary sales number by the, like, you're by 48 hours, you're done, you're out, you're gone, because they got to make room for the next one. And it's such a tight window of your 48, maybe 72 hours, depending on if you open on a Friday, um, to, to make that impact for a studio exec or a movie chain exec to go, okay, give it one more weekend. And it didn't happen. Because yeah. what happened is the, uh, for a number of reasons, you know, four or five, six different reasons, but the kids that did see it in the theater, I don't know where you first saw it, Jeff. I don't know if you first saw it in a theater or not. I've, um, I think I think it was H. I think it was probably HBO yeah. or something. I really then don't that's, think that's where the next giant, mm -hmm. you know, batch, the bigger batch, and then home video. But um, they saw it on a Saturday, went to school on Monday, and said, "Josh, yep. holy shit, man! I just saw this cool movie. I'm going <laughs> back to the mall on Saturday and see it again. You got to come with me. You're gonna love it because like it's kids that like comic books and monsters. Josh, you got to come with me." So Josh and I get on our bikes to go to the mall on the next Saturday. And it's not there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so as a movie lifeline, that's disappointing or tragic. But where the real kind of disappointment comes in, or, or it's disappointment for an individual, but tragedy for all of us is with someone like Fred Decker, who this yeah. is, you know, you have 48 hours to either be a success or not. That's a little unfair with no word of mouth time. No social media to someone tweet and go, oh, my God, I just had a Monster Squad. Hashtag Nards. Yeah. Can you imagine if Monster Squad came out and it was a hit and we had hashtag Nards? Yeah. Oh. Come on. Or if this comes out on this comes out now on, you know, on video on demand, it's it, it's, it's it's gigantic. On, it's it, colossal. It doesn't. It still goes on every streamer, every six. Like it just trades from Hulu to Netflix to Amazon. Yeah. 
Uh, right now, I think it's still on Amazon. It was a weird thing when the doc came out because Am right when the documentary dropped for VOD on Amazon Prime, Amazon got rid of Monster Squad as the movie. I was like, I thought your whole thing was algorithms. It's like, yeah, yeah. where's the math whiz here, you dumbasses? Like, yeah. it's the doc That's about this movie. Yeah. Why would you not reinforce that? Um, and then a couple months or a couple weeks, they actually brought it back. They got it back. Um, but um, it, it's... It, to me, it's tragic because that is a career killer for someone like Fred, uh, at least for the time being. And we don't, Monster Squad didn't, look, Fred made three movies starting when he was 25. And within three or four years, he made three giant studio major motion pictures. They all didn't do well in the box office. And that's the only barometer of success. Box office is not the barometer of success now. No, It is the social media interaction. And the exposure and the mentions. It's not tickets. It's the mentions. Yeah. You can get a sequel to a movie that no one saw if it gets enough mentions, which doesn't mean ticket price. Right. <laughs> so it's a whole other world. We didn't have that. Fred didn't have that. Right. And what's really tragic, it's not personal that our movie didn't succeed. It's the fact that we don't get to see all the other stuff that Fred was wanting to make. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yep. And look, the next project down the line, besides a sequel, if that you know that'd been cool. But I know what was coming next in Fred's mind, uh, and in the meetings. And when Monster Squad didn't do well, or RoboCop three didn't do well. I mean, look, RoboCop three, like, what are you? You're 27 years old. You get offered the third installment of a giant, you know, yeah. RoboCop friend. What are you? Gonna, you're going to turn that movie down? You're not right. going to turn that movie down. Uh, you know, and Fred made the movie he wanted to make. Like Robocop 3 is Robocop 3. He flies, goddammit. Like he flies. Robocop yeah. 3 flies. And but I know the stuff that was behind that and, and lining up and, and, and coming up for that. And but when your name is that writer director and your movies don't do well, you go to director jail. And it 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 you know it takes a, it takes a jailbreak or some you know CIA intervention to get you out of that black black site. And um he didn't get that. Sh Shane ended up being okay. <laughs> because at the same time, he if it was just Monster Squad, then Shane may not have. If Lethal Weapon had we popped before Monster Squad came out, uh, it could have been a different story. That's true. Man. So it, it's, uh, it, 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 people always say the cliche about Hollywood. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And it's all timing. <laughs> it really is. So after this movie comes out and does that, you and like the rest of like Ryan and well, I don't know how close you were to Ashley being so young, but did you guys like stay to keep together? Or did you not come together until the resurgence? I mean, for a number of years after Monster Squad, so I was 14, Ryan was 15, turning 16, Ashley, you know, was five, six, seven. You know, yeah, right? yeah, that's why I was like, uh, you know, we were all, we were all friends after that, obviously. And probably saw them regularly uh, i mean ryan and i hung out a bunch ryan was you know he you know he had a car before i had a car uh you know we would ride around um uh, and, and and go to people's houses and go to parties and go to events together um ashley would come over for birthdays and vice versa oh wow uh, you know okay. and same thing you know going you know three four you know five years in the future because it might like we always had birthday like good birthday parties and like uh, you know my 16th birthday was coming up which is a big one my 18th birthday was a big one coming so you know everybody comes to stuff like that and um, and also you're still working in the industry so you see each other on auditions and you see each other on sets and, and all this stuff 
and then your friends because you did this, you know, you did this this movie. Um, but like I said before, you know, in '91 came along, uh, I graduated high school, then ended up going to college, nowhere near LA or Hollywood, and um, it's uh, so I'm away from it for a while, and it was really a bunch of good timing in 2005, end of 2005, beginning of 2006, that things started to kind of percolate. Um, you know, people had kind of reached out and contacted me a little bit about Monster Squad. And then I got this very, very, what ended up being a life-changing for all of us, uh, email from a guy named Aaron Morgan, who uh, lives in Austin, Texas, used to work at uh, a site called Ain't It Cool News with a guy named Eric Vespi. And, he, and Aaron, who I'm still friends with, him and, and his wife Kayla today. Uh, she's had a you know uh, birthday a little while ago. They still live in Austin. I get to stay in their house when I'm in town. Uh, he reached out to me on um, like my Yahoo email <laughs> or something, and uh, said, "Hey, my my friend is trying to put together uh, like a screening. Uh, he works. We work for this new site. Uh, there's a theater down here that you know does cool stuff like this. Do you have any interest in doing this? If so, here's his email." Uh, and luckily I got that email and read it and then contacted Eric and then they contacted everybody else and Ryan and Ashley and I and Fred Decker went to Austin, Texas, uh, to do two late night screenings of monster squad on 35 millimeter at the first and only at the time Alamo draft house cinema, oh. uh, in 2006. And that's what started all of this. And so then we really you know, got to see each other again, which we hadn't in a while, but really kind of serendipitously, which is totally a word. Um, I, I, I had been, I was in North Carolina at the time. I had been in LA. I just moved back because I had this whole project kind of uh, not happen. I went to go visit a friend of mine, ended up working in his, it, it, with his company and I get these emails and all at the same time, like Ashley had just moved back to LA and she reached out to me. I had connected with Ryan through somebody else and said hello. It all, it all, it all ended up working at the same at the same time, uh, and it's for the resurgence. It was it was all it was all timing, and look that happened and we're like oh my gosh like people and then the next spring uh, we get like we're headlining Monster Mania in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is a giant horror convention, and there's a guy there saying oh we're doing the interviews for the DVD Lionsgate's putting out the Monster Squad 20th anniversary. We're like. No, they're not. No one has told us this. We don't know who you are, Michael Felsher. And uh, please, you know, stop saying these weird words. And uh, we were totally taken aback. Didn't know this was happening. They announce it. And then the DVD comes out and goes absolutely bonkers. And now we go to San Diego Comic-Con. We're releasing the 20th anniversary DVD. There's 1,500 people there trying to get their copy signed. Lionsgate had no idea what they had, and they kept Man. selling out and had to reissue, <laughs> sold out, had to reissue. And then all of a sudden, all these Monsters Who Have fans were like, finally, we're getting a DVD, and it's out of print again. Like, nobody can get it again. <laughs> and they're like, no! And, you know, and then two years later, a Blu-ray comes out, and then another Blu-ray. And we're, But all this time, we think that this is just going to – it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. And 
conventions and screenings. I love going to one-off screenings of Monster Squad and have 100, 150 people in the theater, you know, in, in Denver yeah. or, you know, Omaha or West Virginia or something. And just just being there in, inside of this theater with all these people. And, and this was an experience to watch people watch Monster Squad. Widescreen on 35, which they hadn't seen in 20-something years, and lose their minds and then tell their stories. And that kept going on and going on. And I realized that there was something really cool here and something different than other fandoms uh, and different than other... Look, there's there's all movies that we can all rip off in the snap of the finger of what movies impacted us as kids or adults or certain times or this movie I saw in college um, that means something to us. But I realized there's something Monster Squad kids are connected to this movie <laughs> differently. And I, we didn't know what that was. And then I started listening to these because they all sounded the same, but yet they were all very individual and they were all very deep. And then when you actually turn your rate, you know, your antenna into that a little bit, really start understanding, listening to this, there's something really cool there. And as that kept going for another number of years, I realized that those stories were a story. It and it sure wasn't about was. the, the documentary was never meant to be about us. Not, not even really about the movie. It's about the impact that this movie had on people and how it can change or affect their lives or their careers. Or, And that's what it ended up. It, it turned out to be so much better than my original even thought that the documentary could be. But uh, it was never about us. It was always about the fans and their stories and how connected they are to this and what it means to them. And that's really cool. Yeah, I think the I think the biggest secret, and take it from somebody, you know, I'm, I'm, I am literally in the wheelhouse of that what really helps is that the cast the crew take this as serious as we do um you know you get a lot of these movies that people really love and then say one of the actors is kind of like oh i don't want to like i want to forget that ever happened or whatever and you're like wait a minute i i love this like you know it hurts you guys embrace it and you're you know you're so like cognizant of how much we care about it and you don't you're not embarrassed by the movie because you shouldn't be it's a great movie but there's no like oh i want to forget about that part of my you know my past or whatever and when when movies do that sometimes like it really hurts and and honestly I, i was a little worried about that when i really started deep diving into this because it does mean so much to me that i'm like i don't want to hear people make fun of it because this is but the opposite happened all the podcasters even whether it's a first watch or a second watch like a guy like josh who's much younger they're all like no it was I had a great time. It was awesome. And then I listened to the interviews and then like, they'll interview you. And then after the interview, like they'll do their show. And they're like, no, I like, I love that movie. Like it was fun. I'm going to watch it every year on Halloween. So it actually, I was nervous about it because I'm like, you don't, you know, like I, I didn't, I didn't want to hear any negative. And then it turned out quite the opposite. It's been so positive. And then all, and so Josh, you know, so kindly asked me to do this a couple of months ago and everybody I've told about it, it's been the same thing. It's like, Oh yeah. Like if they don't remember it, they don't remember it. But if they do to a person's like, Oh yeah, that was, that was a blast. We used to watch it all the time. Like there's been nothing, there's been nothing negative. And so, you know, like I can, I can't even fathom like times a hundred or a million, what you guys must've felt by like, wow, like it was good. Like we knew it was good. They're telling us like there had to be a vindication there of, of, of some sort, I would imagine. 
Well, I mean, I think a, a little bit. And and look, as as the the kids that were the actors in the movie, it's always nice to get attention, or you know, we get you know a, a tongue bath every now and then. But you know that that can also get old. Uh, and why it didn't get old uh, for Monster Squad fans coming up and going, "Oh my God, you don't understand! It's my favorite movie of all time." Um, that's sort of like a bad Alec Baldwin impression, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> uh, the reason that did, because that can actually get old after a while. You know? So I, it's I, like, you know, oh, I could understand, yeah. Because, and it doesn't, even though we may have heard kind of the same words or gotten the same reaction for someone at a screening or a festival or a convention, uh, what you realize is, or even questions like, you know, you do podcasts, you get asked, you know, you get asked, you know, kind of the same, you know, you get asked yeah. you know, a lot of the fundamental yep. questions a lot. Um, and we know the answers and that's why we're good on the road and Q and A's because we got so good at it between Ryan, Ashley and I with like Q and A's with groups or panels that, uh, like the question would come up and we would just look and one of us would take, take it because yep. we know what we're going to do with it. It becomes, we know what the answer is and how to deliver it, uh, because we went through it, but that could get old too. And it doesn't because every time you hear either the same response or the same question or you meet a fan for the first time and they are losing their minds. It's because we, it may be the 4,000th time for me or us. It's the first time for them. And you realize that very early on and you're sitting on this side of the table. And unless you're an asshole, you need to respect that and appreciate that just a little bit. Some people don't. Oh, yeah. uh, and then they're doing it wrong. Um, we understand that. We're not faking it. And so we learned that early. And we're like, wow, this really means something, people. And this means like this is their moment. Uh, we owe them 60 to 90 seconds of focus and time. And then let's get their story. Let's find out, you know, where they're from, where did it lead to? Like, oh, you met your husband because of Monster Squad. I mean, that happens <laughs> all the time. Yeah. And these are all very unique stories. And they're very, very important to these people. And we, we, we realized that very, very early on in this kind of resurgence process. Um, and, and you appreciate that and you respect that because then you think back out of it, you know, like, oh, I could get tired of this or this gets boring or you re- and you, then you got to step back and realize how many people get to do this? <laughs> right. How many people out there are being asked to do this or being, you know, stood in front of all these people and explaining how important something that you had a part in you didn't make it i didn't write it you know uh but i love when those guys get to experience the same thing that we have sort of been sort of the sponge for over the years uh very few people that are actors get to get get to be in that situation you can make movies your entire life and no one gives a shit you 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 could be a character actor or lee man make 25 movies like oh yeah that's a cool movie yeah and no one's ever lost their mind in front of them or cried because a, a, a moment was so important to them that they're meeting the three of us or the, or the, or the two of us or, or me or just Ryan or explaining how badass Phoebe is, you know, to a, an original fan that gets to show it to her daughter. Um, it, the, those never get old. So as long as they want to keep talking about it, I'm right here. That's awesome of you guys. That is awesome. I guess I'm going to take a quick thing and I'm going to tell the story of when I didn't 
get to see Monster Squad on the big screen and Wolfman's got Nards. Okay. And yeah, there is, and I doubt my wife's listening, so she's never going to hear this. So <laughs> there is a picture of me on Facebook, and I'm just looking off to the side annoyed. And she says, when your husband gives you this face on date night. And that night was the night Monster Squad and Wolfman's got Nards was having a showing in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I didn't get to go. Oh. But- because the daycare was having one of their parents' night out things where we could drop the kids off. My wife decided we were doing that, and I, I was, I was not happy. Because mm. that was my only chance to see it there. Because it was, you were guys were in Charlotte. I know that. Because I was like, I can drive to Charlotte. And I'm like less than two hours from Charlotte. It would have been driving distance from. Oh uh. so, yes, so you, so you missed seeing both on the screen. I guess that was during. Um... Either one off or maybe Charlotte Film Festival, maybe. Um, I think they had they have a small festival up there. I think that's yeah, yeah. That was that was awesome because they got the show that uh, doc. Now now where where's two hours away? Where do you live, Josh? Greenville, South Carolina. I I was just there. What? I was just in Greenville two months ago. Really? Yes. And you missed you missed we missed it. Uh, I actually drove down there. I was in I was I was in Raleigh for a little bit, you know, which is sort of like you know always been second home base. And uh, my best friend from my second college and team uh, is <laughs> we're, we're old enough now that their kids are being recruited to play in college. And yeah. uh, she was in a showcase. She's a she's a, a, a big high school basketball rising senior. And she was in a showcase in uh, in Spartanburg. And oh, uh, so we uh, we uh, we drove uh, to to Greenville to, to I got to I got to drive to visual to, to visit my good friend, Josh Cohn. And watch his daughter Hannah playing a couple of showcase games at the you know big Adidas tournament, um, and uh, so I, that's that's kind of cool. But um, I mean, if you grow up in Spartanburg, I'm getting ready to blow your mind, Josh, because this is stuff that Jeff is getting into. Uh, you know, when I went to college, I uh, uh, I went to college to play basketball, so I left LA, left the career uh, because my short little ass wanted to play basketball in college. And uh, that was that was I, long story short. I ended up with this opportunity to play at a well-known. Uh, there's not too many around anymore. It was a pri- private junior college at the time called Lewisburg College, north of Raleigh. And in the South, uh, you know, over you know 100 years or so, there was a ton of these private two-year schools that uh, ended up some you know ended up being four-year schools, but they were great feeder stuff into into stuff. And a lot of them had good sports programs. I ended up playing for this amazing uh, old-school, famous uh, junior college coach named Enid Drake. And it was just because a family friend had a connection and uh, it just worked out. And I packed up my car and drove across. I drove from L.A. to Lewisburg in uh, the summer of 91 and, uh, you know, to the middle of nowhere and uh, played basketball. The reason that is the region that uh, we played in all these great schools are things like North Greenville College and Anderson College and Spartanburg Methodist and uh, Montreat Anderson. And, uh, you know, all these small schools that are now four year schools in your area. But uh yeah, uh, Spartanburg Methodist was one of the the, the toughest uh, schools in the country at that time, and we uh, had had one of the, at the time I think my sophomore year had the number one or number two ranked JUCO player in America at Spartanburg oh. Methodist, um, a guy named James Scott, and um, I, I had to guard that fool for a half a game. <laughs> it was it was a completely wacko decision. Um, in the in the regional tournament at our place my sophomore year and i was supposed to be guarding this other guy named Jawan tuck who was the short point guard who was also very good in a freaking seat and hall and um 
uh, James Scott's killing us in the first half. I mean, he had like 16 or 18 points in the first half. And uh, Coach Drake at halftime, he announced the matchup. And he said, uh, you're taking James Scott. <laughs> and, I, and, I went, and I went, that doesn't seem logical. And then uh, as we were walking onto the court, Coach Drake, old school guy. I mean, he coached at Lewisburg for 40-something years. And um, he was he was already older at this time, and uh, he took me aside. And one of the things that I you know I could I could I could get after it on the defensive end. And um, he said, if he can't touch it, he can't shoot it. And that's that's how Coach Drake talked. And uh, I knew for the, in that minute what the next twenty minutes of my life were, Ooh. and that was to. <laughs> not allow James Scott to catch the best. Deny the ball. And wow. uh, I, I, I did nothing else. <laughs> he had four points in the second half, folks. Yeah. Well, nice. You uh, we we still lost. But <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, so let, we'll, but, we'll uh, dig in. I succeeded in my weird endeavor of guarding the top Juco player in the country for 20 minutes. I, I got to dig into this a little bit, I'll, and then I'll let Josh get back on track. So <laughs> we're talking, we're talking, you know, 90s. That's like the point guard was was different then it was very important then so what what kind of point guard were you in the 90s like what's what's a comparison Ooh, a comparison to other point guards yeah just just yeah just uh, i'm just trying to get very, a feel for you what, know, there what, was a there was a great point guard in the 80s at nc state called chris corciani okay oh, yeah, absolutely uh, great point guard uh hustler built like a fire hydrant yep. sort of like me and um hustled uh offense really you know scoring wasn't his thing if he had a chance he put it in but it was about setting up and running the game for his team on both ends. Um, you know, North Carolina as a system under Dean Smith uh, was basically a system that Dean Smith invented over, you know, 75 years of coaching. Oh, yeah, yeah. Four corners. And, uh, you know, uh, he changed the game in, in many ways on things that he actually invented or created or, or, or you know, reinvented. Um, and the Carolina system for many, many, many years, keys off the point guard. And so all of the point guards at Carolina in the 80s and, and, and yes. early 90s uh, were Keith, you know, like King Rice and, uh, you know, things like that. And this is my era in high school. Uh, but I love that, you know, this there was an era of basketball where there was position players uh, and they had roles. And the point guard was different because uh, usually the point guard was, uh, you know, the, the floor leader, uh, you know, kind of, you know, was either getting signals or creating stuff based. And when you get into the collegiate level in things like a Carolina system, which I ended up playing in my junior and senior year, because I played for a former Carolina player and a Carolina assistant coach. Uh, and so that we were doing the Dean, the, the, the Dean Smith Carolina, which is very, very intricate, very, very complex. And a lot of options, depending on if you pass the ball left or pass the ball, right. Four other people that did things. Yeah. And the point guards in control of all that. And um, I'm, I've always loved basketball. I always thrived in that kind of situation. Um, it, it came to me naturally or easily. I don't, you know, it's the, the physical part of it's hard because, you know, I'm shorter in stature and I wasn't as strong, but I was fast and I would hustle my ass off. And that was, that was my, that was my uh, ticket. And I got good. I, I got a lot better um, because I had great coaches and, and good teammates, but, uh, you know, to, to learn those, I was, I was really into that concept. And then as timing would have it, when I got to college, five guys in Michigan changed the entire game. They sure and did. Now, 
they had this thing where everybody was six eight, <laughs> and all the five guys were exactly the same. And so the position play, like everybody wanted that. And I'm like, no, no, I'm here. This is it. Like it's the I'm that guy. Uh, and the Fab Five ruined it. Uh, I think Fab Five ruined basketball for a while. Um, and but it but what's interesting is it changed it. It kind of went back to it for a number of years. But now, if you look at basketball, which I don't much, um, everybody's this proto giant super athlete. Yeah. That is all the same. It's like we got Kevin Durant, he's 6'10, handling the ball and pulling up from 35. You're like, no, 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 no. But, you know, back in the day, if you were 6'10, you never went above the foul line. Like you were on a block and that's it. And if you (laughs) ventured out, you'd get in trouble. There's Um, no, there's no post game now. Like essentially, there's like even even a a center's, centers might like, I mean, we're talking like MB plays on the perimeter half. That's right. So you got, yeah, you got centers that are, you know, Seven one standing thirty five <laughs> feet away from the game, so the, the whole game changed, and, and that's fine. You know, the, the, and look, the game was completely different when I played it than it was in the sixties, uh, and it was different True. than the forties. So you know, games evolve, sports evolve, and that's totally fine. Um, had I really, I was a you know a student of the game. I love the history of it. I love the romance of sports. Um, the the romance of basketball is a completely different thing. Yep. Um, and and it really does have an uh, at at a at a time. It, this is why I, I think maybe Jeff, I just figured out because you actually do watch it. Like I don't anymore, and I realized that the elegance is gone. There used to be such an elegance to the game of basketball, not in the early days because it was kind of clunky and very robotic, uh, and you know that that my guy bounced back, da, da, da. and then it got the athleticism came in and they got more complex and it got stylized a little bit, and then probably going through the '80s and mid '90s. There was such an elegance to the game when it was played a certain way, and it was uh, it was intoxicating, and that becomes romantic. And um, these are these are a lot of words people don't use with sports. <laughs> no, yeah, I, but I, I uh, it, it's true. You know, true students of the game they realize this. And, and if, if you've ever been inside of complex, you know, high level sports like f- football is the most complex game to me, and they have plays and different things and auto and like it is so intricate. And then all these fans get mad when a wide receiver runs a route left and he's supposed to go around. It's like, do you know what's going on right now? The guy made a mistake. It's like, Trust I me, get as it, a sports like podcaster, no seven, offense. Yeah, there's 7,000 options right yeah, now. No offense to my fans, but the, most of them don't. And that, Jeff, yeah, no, they, they, they don't understand it. Uh, oh, sorry, but this, you know, personally for me, I loved the game of basketball. Uh, I was a I was a baseball player too, a little soccer. I probably I was a good tennis player. I should have played all these other sports in the college <laughs> level, but uh, I I chose the nah. and I think this has other you know genetic implications. Uh, but I you know I, I played the one that every when I said I want to play basketball in college, everyone goes, that's not going to happen. Yeah, and I went, that's the last thing you tell me because watch. <laughs> so now up yours i'm gonna go make this happen i don't care how it happens just because i'm gonna prove you wrong and uh, a lot of people think i was stupid for doing that a lot of people was like you just left at a peak of a television and film career to go play basketball what is that going to do for you and i was like well if i do it right then i'll get i my goal is to play overseas for i don't care where it is because that's another you know another kind of you know thing to achieve you know you know a, a leveling up that if i work at it maybe i can get that um and, and i did i, I got offered uh, yeah so i i made, I made this offer. that's amazing it's it, but, it really uh, is amazing yeah and, you know it's the timing of it I, I like i said i love the elegance and the romance of the of, of 
what that game did. And I miss, I miss my time. I, I really wish I was a, uh, I wish I was a college basketball player uh, from like 1968 to 1972, or maybe, maybe 74 to 70. I like it was in the classic time because I'm a classic player. I understand the fun, super fundamental guy, but then the athleticism started coming into the game and yeah. that's what was the elegance. And then it became really interesting. Um, and then the athleticism just went off the charts. Now the athleticism is a hindrance because everybody's a super athlete. It's crazy. You're like, well, no, it's, no, no, a, no, no. it's a different it's like, sport. Yeah. And, so, so, uh, yeah. so growing up, who was your favorite player? That'd be my last sports question, Josh. I promise. <laughs> oh, maybe, oh man. I have to go. Uh, or, or I shouldn't say, I favorite, love, you know, early but, days. I loved Dr. J. I loved that 76ers team of sure. the eighties, but look, I grew up in LA. Laker fan, I, you know, the, I was the Lakers too. I didn't grow up in LA, it, but I was. It doesn't. It doesn't get. Showtime was as good as it gets. Showtime was amazing, but talk about almost something that was also antithetical to you know what you know the game is like. It they call it Showtime. It's not Showtime. It's like you know it's you got to buckle down. Those guys were good. That was amazing. Yeah. Um, Magic Johnson was a force. Kareem was a force. James Worthy. My favorite Lakers uh, were Michael Cooper and Kurt Rambis. Oh, I loved Kurt Rambis. So I always wanted to just have the, the goggles. I just oh, wanted to these have guys the did the work and won championships. And um, you know, but if you're going to go position player, you know, look, you got you got to look at the you got to look at the short stocky guys. And uh, John Stockton was a was a fantastic. I can see you got a little Isaiah player. Thomas in you. You got a little Isaiah Thomas. I, you know, Isaiah was good, but I didn't like his attitude. Uh, uh, so I thought he had attitude. You, like. you know why? You have attitude when you're really, really good. Yeah. <laughs> and Isaiah Thomas was really, really good. But look, he's this formidable point guard who's not the tallest guy in the court. Isaiah Thomas was fantastic. Oh, amazing. That piston scene was amazing. Uh, you know, didn't like the Celtics growing up, but you realize oh. that Larry Bird was the man. It's um, tough to deal with. It, it's but... tough. It's tough. And, um, but, you know, the, the, the late, you know, and then that guy, what's his name? Um, Jordan. <laughs> Jordan yeah, comes along. Him. I've heard of him. Kind of changes the game, brings that athleticism. Did I like Michael Jordan as a player? That yeah, he's fascinating. Did I like those bull teams? Yes. Do I like Michael Jordan as a human being? That's a different mm-hmm. podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it kind of it kind of solely's that time, but changed the game, made it really interesting. Uh, and then through the '90s, I think my favorite player was Tim Duncan. Oh, of course. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, you might see a little uh, Iverson in there, a little little underdog role. Ooh, I, you know, Iverson, I didn't like because I didn't like the attitude. But then I yeah. watched the stories and read about Allen Iverson and watched the documentary. I realized Allen Iverson was was never really allowed. Yeah. To, and, and then what he ended up doing, like if Allen Iverson had the opportunities or uh, 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 you know uh, opportunities that other players got lights out one, yeah. probably one of the most talented basketball players that have ever walked on this earth. Um, but came from, he came from and had to do it. And he fought like he did when he was a kid yeah. on the court. And that dude was little and he took it to you. Allen Iverson was a scorer yeah. and um, it, it, you know, it was fascinating. And what I didn't like the, the showiness of a lot of the nineties, but what's really funny is like right for some reason on my social feed, uh, I keep getting Jason Williams supercuts. <laughs> okay. And if you watch Jason, like everybody's like, chocolate. oh, this guy, he was just like, you know, trash talker, street baller, like park player. Yo. 
Oh, no. You didn't like it, like you didn't like the what it was. You didn't like the teams that he played on because they're sort of like you know the rough and tumble type teams of the late nineties and early two thousand. Yeah, Jason Williams could hoop. That oh yeah, dude he had two years hoop. of highlight reels. Un- un- <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> it was wild that they let him do it. Like that they were just like, nah, just like you would never like it. That was a Some once in a lifetime. And, and being someone who loved to drop a dime and make a great pass, because yeah. I I got more joy or excitement out of making a pass that someone scored on than scoring. Yeah. Every time. Bar to, to take it back to the movie, that's that's what you were so yeah. great at. Yeah. <laughs> you made everybody else around you better. That's yeah. Awesome. So like I said, maybe it all, you know, those two different kind of worlds all kind of, you know, kind of weave together. Um, and, and, you know, one, one of my, you know, one of my dearest friends on the planet is uh, a teammate that I actually went to two schools and I got to play with one guy all four years. And uh, cause we got recruited together to go play at UNC Asheville after Lewisburg college. And uh, so I was even closer to you for a number of years, John, you know, I was at years <laughs> in Asheville and um, you know, the, the overall situation was different. Uh, there could have been, there was other, other decisions that I now <laughs> wish I had made to go location wise, but um, William Coley and I played together. We were freshmen together. We ended up being team captains together at our, at our first school. And then we got recruited by, uh, the coach that went to UNC Asheville who played for Dean Smith for years and coached for years. And, uh, that, that was a highlight of my life is to get to, to play all four years with a good friend of mine. And we were, we, we, we got named Batman and Robin and he was, you know, five, six black kid. And I'm, you know, I mean, he's a six, five black kid and I'm a five, six white kid playing basketball together. And we were two peas in a pod. Couldn't come from any more opposite backgrounds or situations and um just i i mean it, it if william coley needed someone to jump in front of a train and take a charge i would do it and if andre gower needed a william coley would be right there man that's and dope. um we're still friends uh you know i just saw him a little while ago i'm gonna get to see him again when i when i go to town and uh and then like my best i mean i have really good friends from my playing days like william and, and and josh Cohn, who's now daughter is getting recruited to play in school uh she set the high school um, national record she had 19 threes in a game this year holy <laughs> smokes yeah so uh you know yeah, so, the game's changed the yeah, game's changed. Changed. Spread, spread the love for hannah Cohn out there uh she's Absolutely. dropping fucking threes on everybody <laughs> and um you know and she, she, she's gonna go to a good school and ralph malus and um God, there's all these guys that you know that you sweat and bleed with and break fingers with and roll ankles with and uh, tumble on the ground and, and, and win games and lose games. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's something that I, I wouldn't have traded it. And that comes a lot con- from and I coming from it. like the opportunities that you could have had. So that means <laughs> a lot when you say that. And I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure obviously the, your teammates, it, it, it came off like, it's genuine. They obviously knew that, that you were in. That's what I mean. Like, like this guy's all in. He doesn't have to be here. Yeah. And, or why is he here? It's like, it's like, yeah. like why is this guy? Here? Uh, and, and it was great. You know, you're talking about, you know, passing and, and, and how I, and you know, that, you know, it, you know, anytime someone's an athlete or you know, played sports in their life, they'd be seventy years old and remember a shot they made or a yeah, or a putt or a putt that they drained the thirty years ago, or... you know, you know, to save par or something. And it's those things. I remember these. I and like I remember passes. 
you know, I remember passes that I made to William and, you know, he would just, you know, he'd poster somebody or, you know, we, you know, we, we, we won a game because of the score, you know, pass, right. Dropped it down, you know, and William and I, like, I didn't have to look like he, I just knew where it should go whenever, wherever he was. And we, we just, we were so in sync and that ended up happening with Josh Cohn, you know, who was actually a point guard and a two guard. Um, he was about five best shooter I have ever seen in my life. And I will, I'll put a hundred dollars in a game of horse of Josh Cohn and you name whatever player you want. Wow. I've never seen a guy just, well, we know, like this kid. we know where his daughter gets it from. Then, is what right. you're telling yeah. Me. You're yeah. Telling never me. saw a shot. He didn't like number one, but <laughs> the problem is a lot of guys are like that, but they don't put it in like this. Oh, he it didn't matter now. where it was. It he was flourish now. It was ridiculous. And, um, you know, it was, you know, playing with Josh and, you know, throwing, it's just, it's just fun. And it's, it's such a, it's, it's a thing that, you know, I made that decision, you know, people are like, why are you, why are you doing like, you could be on a series next year. I was like, yeah, I could also be on a series when I'm 30. I can audition for a sitcom when I'm 30. I can't play college basketball when I'm 30. I, you know, it's, it's over. There's a small window of time and there's an opportunity and I don't want to play what if. And um, I didn't. So I made that decision much to the chagrin of, you know, a handful of a lot of people. Yeah, but that <laughs> but, was a very uh, mature decision for someone your age to make, though. Well, remember, I started, you like know, I, I started being a, you know, a human doing stuff a lot sooner than others. He was an entrepreneur but, at yeah. five years old. So, yeah. That's, that's, right. that's right. I, I, yeah, see, I, I see a I, world where Andre is like in, in a, I don't know, now would be like a VOD series. Like he's a gritty veteran high school basketball coach who's like, like I, I I don't know. He go, goes to a a rundown high school, and it's, it's a mismatched group of kids, and he's got to bring them up to to his level. I I see that. I see. I, that. I'll do that. Yeah, that's. You'd uh, be great as a high school or as a basketball coach. Like, oh my goodness. You know, you know what's funny, I, and I I'd really like to do some sort of show or a movie at some point that that brings, um, you know, movies and sports together. Because some some of the best movies out there have been sports movies. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, with character and and perseverance. It's all about perseverance, and um, you know, coming back up getting a second chance, making something out of nothing. These are all great sport. They're all sports stories. And um, uh, whether, you know, you're a superstar or not, that's, you know, Hoosiers, Hoosiers is just the movie. Uh, the Natural is a fantastic film. Um, Bull Durham is a fantastic film that everybody thinks the campy and the humor and the, and the, and the, and the naughtiness of Bull Durham, you're, you're missing Bull, you're missing the story. You're, you're missing the romance of baseball with this character, Crash yeah. Davis, and, and what it means. And, you know, the, 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 is it, is it tragic that he didn't get the notoriety that he should have because he was just as good as anybody else? Or is the game better off because he played in the minors for 20 years and, you know, helped all these other players go and be something? Um, you know, those are, those are, those are stories that only happen in sports. And their human conditions, and talk about romance. And those are those are all romantic stories. Absolutely. And and you you can get the biggest baddest lineman or basketball players that when Hoosiers plays, and you know they, they go to them. They they're 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 there's you know it's the same thing with Monster Squad fans when you know Phoebe throws scraps. It it gets you. It gets it's you. important. <laughs> yeah, it gets you. When uh, you know when Robert Redford hits that. 
shot and hits the lights of the natural mm. like you get the lights you get the music you get the slow motion you, it's gonna get you you're gonna you're gonna something's gonna be in your eye oh, i admittedly like i can't re-watch the movie friday night lights because i get it, it it was right at the time and then my son went through high school football and i literally can't watch it because i'm so emotional that it's too much like i can't watch the movie because it's just it pulls every string so I, I, it, I, it does all over the place. And it, that was very visceral and very kind of current and real. Um, you know, you had movies in the nineties, like the program and things like that, you know, ironically James Conn, you know, but um, who just passed and it's kind of like far-fetched and it was kind of yeah. you know, very, you know, Florida state. It was you know, more far-fetched a few years ago. It's, it's closer to, right, it's closer to now, it's and, uh, but it wasn't far relevant. Off, but every Friday day. night lights was, Oh, it's was it. And you know, Booby Miles isn't oh. a fictional character. There are Booby Miles in every yeah. town. Yeah. And um well, he's literally not a fictional character. I mean, right. He, yeah, exactly. He, so he was supposed to be a college football star. And yeah, look, it, you know, here's an happen. example of if you're, you know, Jeff, you're a sports guy. Josh, we'll go back to the the other stuff too. But uh or Jeff, I'm you may have fo- to go I'm on your other podcast guy. and talk sports, but anytime. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a football guy. I'm just you're not, a football not, guy. Not, That's okay. I just never I'm played a, football. It's all right. Yeah. But uh you know, my, uh, you know, when I showed up, I, I literally drove across country. I had a, I had a bright red Mustang. <laughs> I had a bright red Mustang 5.0. Of course uh, you with did. With a white stripe. And I drove from LA did. to Lewisburg, North Carolina. I pull up on campus with, you know, sheets and towels and, you know, tennis rackets and stuff in the deck of my stuff and all my clothes. And I pull on the campus and um, the campus was full of media. And I'm like, it's not for me. It's <laughs> like, what's all this media doing here on this small campus in the middle of nowhere? And what it was, if you know anybody remembers back in 1991, at the time, one of the biggest baseball contract things was going on with a kid named Brian Taylor. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. New York Yankees first pick, right? That's right. So it was New York Yankees first pick. And in baseball, if, you know, midnight happens when school starts, you lose that play if you don't sign them. And it, it was... Uh, Lewisburg College was a huge baseball school. Basketball was secondary, and Coach Drake was totally fine with that. He didn't care about wins and losses. My coach was actually his job was uh, uh, was making uh, was making men and teaching kids that usually came from you know uh, low incomes or you know rural areas or or inter- you know and 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 how to do things uh, the right way uh, over and over and over again. And, uh, he, you know, a lot of times at the end of the day, if he lost a game, he'd be like, I don't care about wins and losses. Guy ended up having a, a thousand wins or something in college. But, um, or 700 wins, really, which is the milestone. Um, I was there for his 500th, so it was great. Um, the Brian Taylor was on campus. And uh, that was a giant, like, I think like the signing bonus was like a million five and oh, like 11.59 or something they signed and, he packed up his bag and walked out of his dorm room and left school. And um, he was at, he was on campus for that, for that day. Yeah. And uh, that, that was a big deal. And then I, I bring it up because of sports and, and personally connected to me, I never met him, but um, you know, a booby miles type of story because Brian Taylor went off, signed that big deal, you know, was in sync, you know, double A AA or triple A ball and w- went home you know, to his, I can't remember where he's from, he's from a small town, South Eastern North Carolina and um, had a disagreement with a guy and threw a punch. And had he, had he hit the guy, he'd have been fine. 
but he missed and destroyed his shoulder. Yep. And um, never became. And that was it. It, it, it. That was it. Yeah. I mean, he, it. he went and they rehabbed in that, but he never he went back to uh, literally laying brick in uh, in his in his hometown. And um, I, 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 you know, you know, any anytime you mention something like Booby Miles or Friday Night Friday, I think I always wanted to make the Brian Taylor movie. So I thought that yeah. was a fascinating story. Yeah. Well, there's still time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in. You know I'm in. All right. Go ahead, Josh. I'm sorry, buddy. That goes back to the camaraderie. I wanted to get some of your stories from the set. Not favorite scenes. I've heard you talk about that. I want to get some actual right. stories from the set. Uh, you know, most – there's some fun stuff. And we were doing this movie – we're talking about Monster Squad, right? <laughs> uh <laughs> You know, with a group of kids, you're shooting this movie. There's all this crazy stuff going around. There's creatures, there's monsters, there's explosions. Um, and that was all, you know, the last 10 days or two weeks of the shoot. So it's it's an amazing being a part of this big thing. And a lot of people think a movie set is just like this big, fun camp. It's like summer camp with like crazy stuff going around. That's not what it is. It's, it's, it's a massive amount of work in a short amount of time. And you can't mess around. And you got to go to school for three hours a day. And then you got to show up and know your lines. And then you can't mess up because you're the kid on the set. No one wants the kid to be the reason that you missed, missed the day. Um, and then when you're someone like me where you're in, I don't know, it's 80% of the scenes in the movie. I, I haven't done the math. Uh, I'm going to say it's at least 70% of the scenes in the movie, right? Um, you're working every day, all day. So it's, it's a lot of work. But you can also have some fun. And we had a great teacher named Elise Gans. Uh, you know, one teacher teaches everybody, no matter what grade they're in, you have to bring your, you have to bring your school, you have to get your work from your school and, and, and complete it and take tests on time and do all this stuff. And you're on the set for three and a half months. And we got to ride our bikes. Um, you know, we got to, you know, invent games on the side of the, you know, play handball on the side of the stage. Um, I do remember, I think, I don't remember why it was, but I went, um, I went to Big Five Sporting Goods, and I bought uh, I bought everybody in the squad their own little folding kind of like camping chairs. We could all just kind of like pop those down and sit around together wherever we were. They were lightweight and, and, and uh, movable. And um, but you were also on location a lot. We were on the set uh, or on the studio lot for maybe half the time. Location the other stuff. So you're moving around and seeing things. And what was cool is just exp- you know being in class, being on break. Being on lunch, I think probably one of the coolest things is when you're on a movie lot. And we were our set stuff was based over at the Culver Studios, which is an old famous movie lot in Culver City. But then we had to go to these locations. And we were on the back lot, you know, Town Square and Monster Squad was on Warner Brothers. So the last final kind of act happens. And that's Dukes of Hazard Square. That's yeah. where the music <laughs> was shot. That's, uh, you know, uh, it's Gilmore Girls, Town Square. You know, it's a lot of stuff. And actually the... Uh, where Wolfman comes out and blows up, uh, you know, in the alley, like next to the alley, that's the, that's the bar. I forget what they call it in the, in the series shameless. That's, that's the bar, the alibi. That's the alibi and shameless. No, you're like, wait, what? Uh, and so all these things that are shot in these cool places, but uh, probably if we're going to a specific thing is at universal and the little, the, the lagoon, where uh, Frankenstein's uh, Frankenstein's monsters like kind of uh, a crate falls in and Gilman comes out, um, and we shot a couple scenes on the bike there, all adjacent. It's this back lot at Universal Studios, and you have like this little lagoon, 
you have a little thick beach over here. You got a little cityscape, you know, all these, you know, facades. And then as if, you know, and that's like Gilligan's Island Lagoon. That's like Gilligan's Island stuff. Wow. Right. <laughs> and so, that's awesome. And then as you go through all this kind of like foliage and trees and like real bamboo forests and like you come out of this like bamboo wall and you are on the Western street you're in western town so you're in the western like where like high noon was shot so you're like wait okay wait a minute yeah i've seen this show it's like holy crap but what happens when you're working on a movie lot is you may be shooting in that lagoon uh but your wardrobe and your dressing room and lunch is literally on western street so like we ate lunch in the saloon of you know the word so like you know you breaking through so you're gonna walk through and be like the sheriff and coming in and wish you had spurs on for all these famous movies and um you know we never interacted with uh we never saw tom noonan uh out of makeup or out of character and we never saw duncan regeer out of makeup or out of character um michael mckay who played um the mummy was in the mummy suit uh was a different story we actually interacted with him we saw him we ate lunch or dinner with him and this is hours and hours of getting in this makeup and these costumes. You can't get out of it just to eat. And so we took kind of, we took turns, you know, like putting the straw in his mouth with a soda, <laughs> like eating him like a, like, cause he had to un and take a fake to and like eat, and, like I probably not get any, you know, Salisbury steak on his costume. Yeah. <laughs> and Michael Faustino, he's like, follow him around and make sure, cause it's hard to see. And like, he would walk him around. So it was just stories like that, that, you know, who gets to do that? Like who gets to feed the mummy in the saloon? <laughs> Where they made famous westerns. <laughs> nobody. About, the, the about four people. Nobody, about Jeff. The people. answer is nobody. Except wow. for us. And so it was it was fun things like that. And um and look, you know, you said favorite scenes, like obviously shooting you know, that the last sequence was, you know, was just badass. And and when you weren't working, like the kids have to be done and out by a certain you know time of day. Uh and that's how you make movies with kids, because then the adults stay until the sun comes up and make movies. And, uh, you know, I got to, once I signed out, was actually officially gone, I could hang around and, and, and watch some cool shots. And, uh, you know, I got to see them push Wolfman out, blow him up in oh midair. So I was standing behind amazing the camera. Scene. I was standing behind the camera scene. when that happened. And, um, you know, because a lot of stuff you don't get to, uh, you know, you're not there for because you have to go home and go to sleep. Because <laughs> you, have, you have to be up at like seven back back to set and working night shoots. And... Um, so it's just fun stuff like that and and getting around and bonding with these kids. I had only known Robbie Kiger. I, I knew Robbie my whole life because we were kind of the same age, read for the same stuff, never worked together. Um, you know, he did a bunch he did a bunch of you know films and 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 a series. I think he was on Knott's Landing for years and um, you know, did Children of the Corn. And so I had known Robbie, you know, most of my, you know, basically since I started. We both started when we were five or six. And um met Ryan just a few weeks before uh we started shooting actually because Ryan was fairly new, even though he was 14. Um, the only thing he had done, the first audition he ever went on was the giant call for kids incorporated and he got it. And so he started kids Inc. Uh, and then in between, you know, his first or second season and the next, he does monster squad. And so we met at a party a couple weeks before that didn't know Ashley. I knew Michael Faustino, uh, just because his brother and I are contemporaries. We're the same age, you know, David and I grew up together. Yeah. Um, and like I said, you know, when you're a kid in the industry of a certain age, you know, everybody, because you see everybody every day because everybody's auditioning for the same stuff. And when you're not working, you go to school and then you get in the car and you go to three to six auditions every day. Wow. And that's, that's, that's what my, 
you know, years were, you know, from, you know, five, six on until I went to college. It's like the Forrest Gump of <laughs> acting. And I'm sure most of the stories are like this. Well, minus the basketball and stuff, but it's, it's an amazing journey. Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, I, I, it, I mean, it's unique to me, so I don't know if it translates to other people, but, uh, I don't know a lot of others that have done as much crazy shit. I listen to a lot of podcasts and, yeah, and so far you're a one-on-one. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the other thing that's, you know, crazy, you know, when people go down, you know, kind of work history and resumes is, uh, uh, and this is all because you work and meet awesome people. And, um, I did a series called baby makes five, which again, I don't know if you saw if you see like a like a there's a pattern of my television <laughs> career is that I was the kid that did six or seven series that only went one season instead of one show that went seven years that everybody knows. Okay, so I, I flipped that around, of course, uh, not up to that wasn't wasn't my doing. Um, and uh, but you know things like Fathers and Sons could have gone five six years as a great show if Ricky Nelson doesn't die in a plane crash. Yeah. Um, I did a show called Baby Makes Five. That was a family comedy sitcom, straight sitcom about a guy who's an accountant and he has three kids and his wife's pregnant in the pilot and boop, here comes twins. So baby, it's like just this guy's just inundated with family. He's got two crazy grandmothers. Um, they were hilarious. And, uh, you know, a buddy, accountant buddy is funny. And that show is called Baby Makes Five. And the lead of that show was Peter Scolari. And okay. Peter Scolari was coming off the end of Bosom Buddies that had just ended. <laughs> And uh, there was some other guy that went on to, you know, act out of Bosom Buddies for years. But Peter got his own <laughs> show first. Peter yeah, got his own enough. show first. And Peter was f a phenomenal talent. Just a really nice guy. Athletic, um, you know, and was a juggler. It's a, Peter would teach whoever he can how to juggle. And uh, we did the show. And I'm a juggler because of Peter Scolari. And we used to, you know, he <laughs> taught me from day one. And... Um, uh, you know, we used to warm up the audience and perform together and do these little acts and uh, we would practice, you know, during the day. And Peter had done the show Circus of the Stars the year before as a juggling act. And then he was getting ready to do it again. And he was doing the high wire uh, with Kari Michelson and Bruce Penhall. And uh, everyone's like, who are these people you're talking about? And, um, but Circus of the Stars was this giant annual show huge. Um, that, that ran during the holiday time. And where, you know, actors um, and performers, you know, joined the circus and you worked for three or four or five months to learn your act. And Peter knew I was athletic and I could juggle. And he took me out to, it's actually this guy's house. It's a very, it's a very famous stuntman named Bob Yerke's backyard, who basically there's a circus in his backyard. <laughs> and there's, there's trapeze and airbags and trampolines and high wires and all this other Russian swings and sway pull, all this stuff. And it's basically, it's literally a circus in a backyard and it's a giant playground. And Peter brought me out to, um, to, to meet the people that do the show. And they put me through, you know, kind of some run throughs and up on the, you know, put me on the trampoline, put me on the high wire, put me in the trapeze and they offered me an act. And so I got to do circus of the stars the first time, uh, because of Peter Scolari. And then a couple <laughs> years after that, I did it again. I did a solo act and uh it's all it's all of this timing and all this cool random weird stuff that you get to do and at the time um when i did the first act i did a, an aerial act called the double cradle with tracy gold and um these two amazing these two amazing um uh, professionals that were in the the, the redlands uh, children's circus and uh, bill and charlie and um 
see these are the people you know because all these people go to your birthday parties you know 10 years later and it's all this just crazy. surreal and um I, at the time i was the youngest one to ever do the show i was 10 i was like 10 and a half or something when i did the show and uh, which is crazy and uh damn it amy foster who's on punky brewster a couple years later was like 10 10 years and three months and beat you know beat my record of the youngest person to do the show uh, but her and Ernie Reyes Jr. and Scott Grimes did one of the best uh, flying trapeze acts that that show had ever seen. And um, that was the year, I think, was that the year I did Low Wire? I can't remember, but I was right. It was, that was an amazing act. And, um, I, you know, it was, it was just fun to be a part of that world because once you're in that circus world, uh, you get to go anytime you want to. <laughs> so, you know, like, uh, you know, you can, you can, go to the circus when it's in town, like, cause you just go, or you could go to Bob Yerke's house and jump on the trampoline or fill up the airbag and jump off a 40 foot tower or fly Jeez. in the trapeze or, you know, uh, go, walk on the high wire or just work on stuff. And, uh, you know, he's a, he's this famous stuntman. And so I kept doing that for years and years and years. And, um, even after I did the, the second show and then they actually kind of moved the show and then the show got canceled. But even in the, in the two thousands, um, on Thursday mornings and Saturday mornings, there's, uh, uh, I'm adding to the crazy life experiences here, Jeff, uh, uh, it, uh, on Thursday mornings and Saturday mornings, uh, there was stuntman school. And so it was all these people that either had to be invite only. If you wanted to learn how to be a stuntman, you were an aspiring stuntman, you'd show up on Thursday morning or Saturday mornings at Bob's house. And this guy named Bob Moyo, who's a very famous, uh, you know, legacy, you know, stunt coordinator, stunt man, stunt coordinator. And he would bring other people in and you would just learn how to do stunts. And his, you know, Thursdays was more advanced. And then Saturday was sort of like open, open park type thing. And, but it, you know, you get hurt. And I saw a guy get his nose shattered and uh, you know, cause he didn't, he leaned, he leaned, he leaned into a straight punch and he got his nose broken mm. and uh, just exploded on the mat. And he was, I was like, well, you know what you, you didn't listen. You, you have to, a fight for the camera is a choreographed dance and it's on the beats and you have to know what you're doing and you got to sell the punch and it's all for camera angles. And he made the, I don't want to say fatal mistake, but he made the broken bone mistake of your partner expects you to be doing what you're supposed to be doing. And yeah. if I'm throw, I didn't throw the punch that broke his nose, but I was standing right there and heard it go. But uh, you you oh. can't lean in or move because that guy is going for a distance and a timing thing in this multi-move choreograph. And he came up and did the freight punch and you leaned in and you were in the wrong position. And you know what? You got your nose broken. And um, <laughs> But if you want to be a stuntman, if you expect not to break a bone, you're in the wrong profession. Because all yeah, these those guys, guys are... show up. Oh, they, yeah. I you know guys they're, like Larry Holt, John Moore, all these amazing stuff. My men, goodness, they have. If you just look at their hand, they're the strongest people you'll ever meet. They can crush you with a handshake, <laughs> but they have broken every bone in their body like four times. <laughs> and currently, when you see them, they may have broken bones that are currently <laughs> broken. And uh, but I got to work on like Bob Moyo and Larry Holt, all these guys. But they worked on Monster Squad, so I knew these guys. And yeah. you know, it's a small world, and. Um, you know, it's uh, I, I got to go do that for years, and then because I would go to stuntman workouts on Thursdays and Saturdays, uh, TCM Turner Classic Movies was doing like one of their short feature docs on the history of stuntmen, and so they would come to the yard, they would do all the interviews there, and I'm actually in that 
Jeez, in the background yes. doing stuntman stuff for Turner Classic Movies, like jumping. Like I think I'm, I'm either on the trapeze or falling into the airbag or uh, or doing a Russian something, and doing fight scenes in the background while all of these famous, uh, you know, stuntmen are there. Like these are the guys that invented fighting for the camera in the in, in the forties. For the for the saloon fights or you oh know, yeah, I just say going through the saloon West, doors. Yeah, yeah, it's all this stuff, and these guys, it's all these guys would come through. And there's still guys walking around, and these are the same guys that would show up on Saturday morning or Thursday afternoons and 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 teach you little things. And one of my favorite things is doing air ramp because, like, you know, when you step on the air ramp, then you get catapulted and you get to tackle like three dudes. Like you fly through the, it's, that. That's some cool stuff. So uh, I've always wanted to be a stunt man. I always wanted to do my own stunts. I did a little bit in monster squad, but you know, being athletic and being, you know, being able to tumble and, and get, it does seem up like a like huge it, benefit. Yeah. It's, 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 I mean, I used to do this when I was a kid, I would jump off the couches and I would fly over the sink and the cat, you know, I just, I would, yeah. Yeah. That's what I did. So now I got to do it for real. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, so my normal format, Andre, is I talk to people about their favorite movie. Did we just blow out your normal format? Like, did Jeff and I totally? Yeah, anytime you invite Jeff, it 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 is a. Well, it's not even that. Thing. I don't. I don't. This is a, my normal format. Is just okay, we usually don't have there. We usually don't have like. Yeah, it's yeah. Got it. No, it's like, and I'm never anybody's normal podcast. So it goes off on tangents and stories about the circus. No, and they're not tangents. So this has been. <laughs> but it leads to this next part because part of okay. my normal format is getting in jeff you listen you know is getting into sequel slash remake territory hmm. what would you like to see done with this a sequel or a remake none of it would you play the dad you have to play the dad character now right like you're that you're that that's where you're at in life of monster squad uh um... yeah of monster squad I, you know, I, I think there's a story there. The interesting thing is uh, everybody talks about uh, you know, like a remake or a sequel of Monster Squad. Um, we've actually seen it. Like a lot of stuff's been really influenced by Monster Squad. If you actually look at stuff. Um, yes, you know, it, you know, it you is very similar. Um, but a sequel to Monster Squad would be basically it. <laughs> um, meaning, meaning Stephen King's it. Um, and you know, we have five seasons of Stranger Things uh, or four seasons of Stranger Things. Um, maybe we'll be in season five. Uh, they've been oh asked goodness. a bunch. Don't even um, tease me with that. <laughs> uh, well, there's a campaign, Jeff. Yeah, you got to get your listeners and your followers to like, you know, start writing the Duffer Brothers. Well, and- I told you I'm very trepidation about this stuff because I also I I don't want anything to tarnish what i that's, have that's so right it, that's i'm right. very nervous as long as it's done celebratory and yes. in honor of it, it works and josh i think that starts the answer to your question uh is is there a i think it's a sequel i also have other cool thoughts in the monster squad universe of the world um if we're doing something that we're involved in its current day then yes i think it is us current age with our history and our background, what have we been doing since then? I think that's the cool time. I think it's uh, something happens and it's happening again in some strange connected way, but different. Uh, I think it's certainly a passing of the torch type thing where it's our kids or the kids that we know or have um, end up saving the day because we think uh, my, my favorite thing. Um, and th- there may be a story written that, that, that does all this, uh, <laughs> 
I wrote one years ago, <laughs> um, just uh, just off of the crazy airplane ride thoughts. Then it just keeps getting developed and developed uh, and added to and, and updated. Um, I, I think what would be great is that, yeah, we're we're the only ones that know what's going on again. Uh, but the kids, like our kids, the kids of today are the ones that actually save our bacon because they, they come up with something new. Um, or they're fix it because they they show that they're smarter because they've band together the stuff that they've learned throughout their childhood and being around like they're the heroes. Uh, I think that's the I think that would be the best type of story. Um, who we are and what we're doing, I think that's open to interpretation. I I I have some really cool ideas or thoughts about that. I know Fred and you know everybody else does as well. Uh, but I think it's a passing of the torch thing. I think it can add to a lot of other things. Um, one of one of the things that I think is a cooler if we're never going to make something that we're playing ourselves, you know, playing our characters again, uh, is one of the biggest kind of, I don't say plot holes, but things that we miss in, in, in Monster Squad is, you know, when the movie starts and we have the crawl and it says 100 years ago, Van Helsing and his guys, uh, and then it says they blew it. You know, at the end of Monster Squad, they blew it. Yep. We don't see how they blew it. Like they cut it out <laughs> of the movie. Like we never get that. And because Monster Squad, any good story, especially That's a good, good point. We don't story. we don't know how. Yeah, we don't know. We, we how don't know how they blew it. We up. just take the fact that they yeah. fucked it up somewhere. Uh, but we do see it. They did shoot it. And and what it was is as they, you know, invaded this, you know, kind of castle that they chased Dracula down, they actually capture him and they stake him. And there's a great there's a great scene. It looks wonderful. And because uh, I have a I have a still photo of Duncan thrown up against a tree, being pinned against it with guys, and he's got this menacing look on his oh, face. Wow! And it's over the shoulder of Van Helsing with a mallet and a stake, getting ready to get him. It's a wonderful photo. Yeah. And um, they leave the body in a wagon, and they go to the castle to do the amulet limbo thing and suck all the you know and and balance it back out because they've killed Dracula. They've killed him. He's in a wagon with a stake. In him. They leave a guy who I always call the Van Helsing redshirt um, <laughs> by the campfire. And as he's sitting there, they're up in the castle doing their stuff. Um, and it all kind of happens at the same time. Uh, three vampire brides come out of the misty woods uh, and attack this guy. And he shoots one with his crossbow. He stakes the other one. And then the other one's choking him and he's flailing around. He grabs a stake, kills her. is like, ha ha, I did it. And um, of course, in vampire mythology if you unstake a vampire they come back to life and as he was getting choked the stake he finds is the one that's in dracula and he takes it out to save himself and then duncan's duncan sits up in the wagon and so dracula lives but now his castle is being sucked into limbo so he walks away just when i thought the movie couldn't get but that to me that's in my that that's canon right now like that's so he walks happened. away. So Dracula. I'm so happy. That's how they blew it. So well, I, Dracula has been walking around for ninety nine point nine years, waiting yeah. for this moment. It's no, and it's, then we get in his way. I love it. He's got to wait. And so this is why I always like to think that Duncan's Dracula is so pissed. Yeah. In our movie, he's so yeah. pissed. He's a great Dracula. Cool. He's a great Dracula. He's fabulous Dracula. But he's so pissed, like. He's like, okay, I asked you to do a job. You screwed it up. I asked you to do it. You screwed it Like, no one can kill these kids. I'm going to do it. I'm going to dynamite. I'm going to blow these kids up. I ripped the door <laughs> off my own car. That's my favorite shot in the movie. And because um, he's so pissed. Uh, because he's waited. nine. He can't do anything for nine. And this is his moment. And we're in his way. I love it. 
I love oh, that. But that's, that's awesome. Since Josh asked about other stories, what was Dracula doing for those 99 years? Right. I want to see that series. Yeah. Or I, you know, I kind of want to see, I kind of want to see the series of like, okay, how did he develop the relationship with Gilman? And what's the backstory with him and Frank? Because he's like, that hey, happens in those 99 years, Jeff. Yeah, I'm like, I, I want to see the backstory. Um... And other things, like what was Dracula involved in? You could, you know, uh, DC started doing this a little bit with historical context, like with Wonder Woman and things like that, that True. these malevolent entities with supernatural powers are part of all the bad shit that goes on in the world. Um, you know, we did it, you know, with Wonder Woman through Greek mythology, um, you know, Ares, God of War, you know, that's why World War One happens. You know, I like to think that Dracula has been almost kind of Forrest Gumping himself, yeah. you know, around and, you know, in involved in all of this stuff. Yeah. And, I think we just turn it over to Tarantino and just see what he does with it. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> well, there'd be a bunch of uh, uh, like women in the 30s wearing no shoes, apparently. Like, I guess that's what it would be. So it's uh, I don't know. But uh, that would be cool. it would be a, be a long, slow burn. And I, I like to think it as um, uh, each each season would be like a decade of time. And so that or maybe two decades, but then you have to go for 10 seasons. That's a lot of that's yeah. a lot of content. But like uh and that idea started with me. Everybody asked, like, where does he get dynamite? And I was like, well, that what? bag of dynamite like was like this really cool, like suede leather bag that is so, not new. All and that stuff like, looked so oh, that's a great fantastic. One. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe Dracula got that dynamite when he was hanging around while they were building the Panama Canal and like swiped some dynamite. <laughs> like he can get dynamite yeah. wherever he wants to, he's been everywhere. He's been oh, yeah. It's, it's definitely from years. a mine. It's definitely from a mine. It's, yeah, it's it, from a mine. Like maybe the gold rush. Maybe he got yeah. it. You know. Yeah, that's what know. I'm thinking. Like I'm maybe thinking. they were building Hoover Dam with it. You know, like Panama Canal, <laughs> like the Suez Canal. Like I don't know. He just keeps getting dynamite from all these big, you know, engineering works projects. So it's that was a weird good. choice. Like dynamite. Yeah. Like well, it's great. I love it. It's classic. I don't, it's yeah, so no, it looks. It, it works for yeah. so many reasons. But I'm like. That's a great question because I'm like, at what point was like somebody like, well, I see Dracula, <laughs> I see dynamite. And you're like, what? Yeah, but it works. But we don't really see dynamite with Dracula in most other Dracula movies, right? We just yeah, see him kind I mean. of being like cool and romantic with the ladies and biting them. Like he, yeah. you know, he's blowing kids up in this one. It's like <laughs> it's a completely different. I, I, yeah, my yeah, the the treehouse scene is one of my favorites. Um, just because of that, like he didn't yeah, know they that they were blew that thing up. I mean, that they, they oh, that wasn't that was an effect. They they fantastic. actually exploded the treehouse that they built. <laughs> Gosh, it's fantastic. But it's also, man, that was such a badass treehouse. Yeah, I, I can't even talk about it. <laughs> As someone that I had woods near me, but I never got that treehouse. I I I couldn't be more jealous uh, than of, of Sean at that point. <laughs> I was like, all I want to do is get in this treehouse. Like, all I want to do is me and Sean, we're going to go to the treehouse. We're going to drink one of Rudy's beers. Yep. We're going to fight a monster. That's right. I'm not going to lie. At that point, I probably would have looked through the camera. I apologize. I I, I wouldn't and do it we now. All, we, all, we all would. Then I would have looked through the camera. Like, I was in. Yeah. I was in. <laughs> hey, get, I'm time out for I'm a media timeout for five seconds. I got to quiet this dog down. Hold on one second. Be right back. <laughs> oh, you're good. nothing like being a podcaster yeah that's crazy like that that's funny though like 
like unless you're in that world you don't have these stories about hollywood like i'll never know what it's like to like okay, grow up on a backdrop in hollywood <laughs> yeah so you know the treehouse i mean who wouldn't want that I was like i was i was i was sad that they blew it up because i like can i hang out in that it's like that was yeah that whole that whole area is north of la and it's all now big subdivisions and grocery stores now. it used to be it used to be a little bit of wilderness <laughs> of course of course all right josh what do you got for us next buddy Ah no, I was gonna let Andre. What's next? What are you working on now? Well, uh, right now it's really you know we had such a, uh, a weird kind of uh, release and distribution prior with the documentary, which was actually got released in twenty twenty one, or sorry twenty twenty, um, after a, some fits and starts and some delays and some some contractual stuff that kind of got hosed or we kind of got hosed that's a whole other that's a whole other podcast um and so you know wolfman's got nards got released late and under distant circ different circumstances than we were anticipating and so i'm really just i'm still and then COVID. it was in the middle of COVID times you may have heard of it and um <laughs> so you know i kind of had to really concentrate on that while everything else shut down um in entertainment and in the event world and anything else that we all did um and so, you know, for the last year and a half, you know, I've really been, um, you know, promoting the doc. It's 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 released domestically in in Canada and the U.S. And um, it's now actually getting its international releases this year, which is two years later. Uh, you know, in Germany and France and Spain and the U.K. and Australia and New Zealand and hopefully Latin America. I just haven't got the update. So it's really, really the doc, even though it's kind of old. Uh, is still the current thing that, you know, you kind of got to push a little bit. Um, so, and a lot of people don't know it's there. And a lot of people are like, oh, I've seen it three times. <laughs> I'm like, oh, great. it's an amazing, it's an, it's an, an amazing documentary yeah. to everybody. Everybody. I'm like, I'm, this isn't hyperbole. Wolfman's got nards is one of the best documentaries about a great movie you know, that, that I've ever watched. And I'm being a hundred percent honest. Mm -hmm. I was texting Josh the other night. I'm like, Dude, I'm like, I'm so happy, but I'm also in tears. I, I, I'm going through so many emotions. It, it's it's unbelievable. If you're a fan of the movie, and I recommend, I recommend the double feature. Watch the movie. Watch the doc. That happens a lot. It, it, it's just, it, it it's incredible. And also just the the technical side of it, the way you put it together. As a, I'm a huge documentary fan. Mm. I, I just really enjoyed that side of it. The way you edited it. The, the way you told the story. It, it's an it's an amazing piece of art. Well, I, I I certainly appreciate that. I will take all of that uh, and then say I did not make that movie alone. Uh, and all the things that you mentioned that are so wonderful in this documentary uh, have nothing to do with me. Uh, it's uh, it's all led by my small but awesome production team from Pilgrim Media Group, uh, led by my man Henry McComas. Um, and, you know, follow Wes Caldwell and uh, Aaron Kunkel and Shane Patterson uh, and then a handful of other people that, that that's really the only people that touched this movie. Uh, and Henry touched it the most uh, because the, this these these were this was my squad for a year. Uh, we were on the road. We traveled all over the place. We traveled internationally, went on two different tours. You know, where it's, it's just insane. And we shot a massive amount of footage in 10 months. And, and, and we were editing this, we, I wasn't, Wes and Henry, we were editing this movie as we were shooting it. And it kept changing and changing. And uh, there's some stuff that we thought was fundamental in the beginning that's not even in it anymore. 
because it kept changing and growing and evolving and the look and the feel um, and, and, and what, what we end up doing and the story that's actually crafted, because there's actually a story in this documentary. It's not just a, you know, a school and information thing. Right. Um, is, is just really deftly done by Henry and, um, it, you know, with some input, you know, from other people, but I was just, you know, my part had kind of been done, you know, by the time we were actually crafting the final touches of this thing. And, um, but, you know, to be, you know, to have your name as the director on something that people really, really like, that's, oh. um, I, and I, I, look, I, I was a big part of this. Don't get me wrong. It was, it, you know, it's my movie, <laughs> oh, we know. Uh, but we you know, know. it's, it's, it's Henry and it's Wes and Shane and Aaron and the crew at Pilgrim, um, that just put so much awesome work into it. Uh, and it was their job, but they ne never felt, you know, they say this was never like a job to them. This was something they really wanted to do. Um, and they treated it as it was their own project. And because they were all fans, they're all filmmakers, they're all fans. They all they all were connected to Monster Squad in that way, especially Henry, especially Wes. And that comes across. And, um, yeah. uh, you know, nobody touched this movie or nobody's involved in this movie that isn't connected to it in some way, shape or form. Uh, you know, from the DP editor, colorist, you know, Henry, you know, co-producer or, you know, you know, like Wes, they're all fans. They all grew up. This movie is one of the things they inspired them to be filmmakers themselves, um, you know, all the way to the score. Like we've got some cool music in there. And, and what a lot of people don't know is a lot of the kind of haunting melodies and instrumentals and some of the up, uh, upbeat type stuff is, uh, I just blanked on his name, uh, is a fan we met on the road shoot doing the 30th anniversary Alamo tour. And he said, you know, I'm a, I'm a composer. I make music and I've always wanted to make stuff for movies and TV shows. Oh. And I said, Oh, I'd love to hear some of your stuff. That sounds That's great. So Can you cool. Email me like a track. And he emailed me three tracks and the first two were fun and, you know, kind of campy, kind of monster mashy, like lead, <laughs> like girl vocal type stuff. It was kind of neat. And this third track was just amazing. And we were in minivans driving like from Kansas to, the airport or something and i said henry you got to call this guy and get this song for we got to use it and then he was blown away and then said do you need anything else and henry's like what you got he's like he just kept making music uh so that was an amazing part i think his name is jeff uh, not jeff um i'll think of it in a minute <laughs> and uh and then the other you know there's some vocals and some cool rock sounds to it that's all ryan lambert's bands and so, you know, nothing is in nothing touches this movie that isn't part of the family, uh, whether you're a family or a cast member and everything in between. And I think that's what lends to what you're talking about, Jeff, is, you know, what what end up the, the, the final product you know, that people get to see in this uh, is because of that. And uh, I, I, I couldn't be more pleased with how it turned out. Um, the only thing I, I have no regrets. There's just things that you wish you could have had. And it's just mainly kind of maybe interviews of people that timing didn't work out and, you know, that you would really love to have their faces in your documentary, um, just in general, just because of who they are. Uh, and then a lot of times you find out that these huge names and faces are huge Monster Squad fans after you've made the movie. You're like, well, right. shit, why didn't you tell me this before? I want to put you in it. But, um, it was certainly a great thing, but you know, Josh, that's, I'm still talking about the doc. It's still out there for VOD yeah. uh, and digital download. It's out. It's, it's playing a couple places for free, like on Tubi, you know, so it's streaming. Um, it has ads uh, on Plex and Tubi, which totally up to you, you know, still watch it, still enjoy it. 
Um, I like it without the ad breaks, uh, just because we actually have a tone and a story and and, and a pacing. Uh, and that sort of disrupts it a little bit because it just kind of jumps in and out um, when you go to like, you know, all of a sudden it's like a a, a, a gum commercial or something. Like, yeah. Wait. <laughs> yeah. um, but then, you know, other things I've been coming out of, you know, this last year, uh, you know, last summer, everybody started kind of coming out of their caves and, and, and doing things. And I was like, yes, this is, yes, good. We're back. Like, let's, <laughs> let's, let's get with it. And, uh, I had, um, I had two things lined up last summer. One was working production on a film in Albuquerque with one of my long-term friends, Nancy Leopardi, who's a big producer now. And I was going to help work production on a, on a feature she was working on. And, and in July of last year, I was supposed to be the lead in a feature that was shooting in oh. Texas um, with a friend of mine named Derek Johnson uh, and uh, producer Chris May, who their documentary, they, they've made, like three or four really awesome documentaries. And one of them was uh, the King of the Underdogs, which is about John G. Abelson, the director. And if anybody likes eighties movies, uh, you should watch this documentary. Um, and because it's about this prolific director that you don't realize made all of these movies that some of your favorites. <laughs> um, like Josh, who directed Rocky? John G. Abelson. <laughs> who directed yeah. the Karate Kid? John G. Abelson. John G. Abelson. Yeah. Who directed The Power of What? John G. Abelson. It's, it's all these. It's this great. It's this great uh, documentary about the history of this director that no one, no one really knows. Um, and I love these guys, Chris and Chris and Derek. And Derek had uh, gone out and written the screenplay and was like, "Hey man, I got to make a project right now. We gotta. Are you in?" And I said, "What is it?" He's like, "I haven't written it yet, but are you in?" I was like, "I'm in." <laughs> and um, so he's like, "All right, wrote it." He wrote it, sent it to me. I was like, "I love it." So I started getting in shape a little bit for it and. Uh, we were supposed to start in like the second week in July of last year. And uh, as, as some of you may or may not know, uh, the first weekend in July, uh, I went down with a massive heart attack. So oh, I, um, hate, I hated this that, part of the story. Yeah. That put the, that put the kibosh on being in Derek's movie uh, and working on that other movie the next month. And it kind of canceled everything else that you had planned. Um you know, going forward a little bit. So last year was sort of a wash. I was going through some other kind of, um, you know, I, I don't, it's a, a, a d domestic, um, you know, personal stuff uh, on top of, in addition to the heart attack and, and, and heart attack aftermath. Um, and that was just a weird kind of weekend. So it kind of changed a lot of That's things. That's one way to put it. Yeah. That is a uh, upbeat it, way to put yeah, it. Yeah, it was it was it was a very uh was interesting weird. slash surreal experience after the fact. Uh and I'm glad uh I can talk about it or not make sense of it or can make sense of it. Because the alternative is I'm not right. hanging out with you guys today because it right, was right. uh that was certainly an option of outcome uh on Saturday morning, July the third last year. And, uh, you know, five or six things lined up in my favor that uh, gave me those um, that 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 who I was with, where I was, where I got to. Uh, and I got to the people I needed to be with in the facility I needed to be with um, uh, in in the small window of time that I needed to be there, uh, all due to my friend Mike, um, who I was who I was with at the moment. And, um, uh, you know, when, once we realized something was wrong, which is after a few minutes, like we didn't like, <laughs> I went a little too long, like 
you know, just saying I'm dehydrated. I'm dehydrated. <laughs> and uh, then I realized something was wrong. And Mike realized it was like, we got to get out of here. Let's go. And he got me where I needed to be. And I had a few, you know, with a, with a, with a window of about 10 minutes uh, to spare, I think. So um, it, it could have been a completely different outcome. It was a massive amount of experience in a very short amount of time. And um, I don't, you know, I, I think it was it was so it was so fast, so so much going on, all you know from when I and I just hit a great backhand volley, <laughs> and because I was playing tennis, and I, I was like, oh, that was a good one. Then I went, oh, I feel weird, and um, from that moment until I was in the ICU after being saved in the cath lab and two emergency rooms, um, was all less than an hour. Oh my goodness! Wow, and uh, it was absolutely just hyperspeed. Uh, and I was there conscious talking present, trying to keep my cool, trying to keep my shit together, um, as best I could, uh, when I knew this was not good. And, um, I just tried to stay, uh, you know, really focused and, um, uh, present and not freak out and, um, let, let the people that know what they were doing, do what they do. And, that's that's what that's what got me here. So uh, cer- certainly thankful for that. So you know what's next? Uh, I had a year of uh, figuring that out. Uh, you know, figuring out where. Like I said, I went through some other kind of personal um, personal relationship stuff over the year. That is all that you know. Th- that year is done. So like uh, about a month ago, uh, that whole year that 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 chapter closed, yeah. and so now we're going forward. Everybody's in great shape. Um, physically wise, emotionally wise, mentally wise, and uh, the world's wide open right now. So um, that's an interesting spot to be in Um, coming out of COVID times that everybody had a rough time. uh, And then I had an extra year of weirdness. (laughs) And um, so now, but like I said, that, that kind of, that chapters, you know, turn the page and uh, everything's open. And I'm, you know, right now it's amazing because I'm filling I'm starting to fill my days now. I, you know, I went on some parents and stuff. I, I did some conventions this year. Um, I, hell, I went on the road for six weeks, two and a half months after I got out of the hospital. <laughs> so uh, I even went to England to do a big convention uh, with Ryan, and ended up in London and and New York and Philadelphia and Louisville and all these other places, all within the same like couple weeks. And um, that was probably a little soon. It's probably maybe, you know, maybe a little maybe soon. a touch. They usually say rest for about six months. Uh, and I was like, it's been two and a half. Let's go. And um, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, Got to get back out there and make it happen. And 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 I'm in good shape physically. I think uh, that's doctors, important. That's doctors emotional. say that's, it is. Uh, I'm still on a couple of meds. Uh, I can technically stop one. You know, once you 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 reach the year mark, you reach the twelve month mark with heart attacks, and that's really kind of the the big milestone. Uh, statistical wise, apparently, because if you can make it from a massive cardiac incident like I had, and then you can make it with no other incidents of any kind for a year, the stats for the next 20, 30 years are, are, are much better uh, in your favor. Um, if you start having issues within that time frame, uh, it's not so bueno. But um, so right now, you know, I'm not I'm not overconfident. You, know, you still got to you still got to be healthy and, and take care of yourself and listen to yourself. And, and get checked and, and make sure everything looks good. Uh, and it does. And so now I get to do some cool stuff. So I get to go to, uh, uh, I'm waiting, 
hopefully these guys call me back. Um, I've been asked, uh, I'm, I'm doing a small film in Ohio uh, in, in the 1st <laughs> of September. They just announced that. Uh, hopefully we get to announce I'm doing a day or two on this other little crazy project in uh, in the Dallas area. We're working on the scheduling because um, I've got to weave it into August and September because I'm 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 busy right now. I'm getting I'm getting busy again. That's and, awesome. Uh, we've got a big uh, parents in West Virginia. Actually, on the technical anniversary date, there's a there's a a cool historical theater in St Albans, West Virginia, that is yeah. uh, doing uh, a screening of Monster Squad and uh, bringing Ryan Ryan Lambert and myself in for the for the for two days. Uh, and then um, we've got some, uh, you know, other, other couple of things. I may uh, go down um, to a big film, film festival in uh, in Miami area, Fort Lauderdale, Miami area, and uh, and then shooting that movie. I'm doing another movie, that Dallas movie. We're just working out the timing yet, so I can't announce that yet because it's not an official. Uh, but yeah, things are starting to, to to crank in. These are all little things, but these are the things I like to do. I'm I'm really into. I started this just prior to COVID times. You may have heard of it. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, coming out of Ryan Lambert and I did a show together called short ends that no one saw, but I created the show that celebrated and showcased short films and the filmmakers that make them. And, um, I sold it to Nerdist and we did 22 episodes on their alpha channel, which was a, 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 sub, a subscription channel that no longer exists. Uh, so no one saw this show. And, uh, we, we did 22 episodes and we showcased 81 or 82 shorts. Uh, in those 21, we interviewed Damn. dozens of filmmakers and I, I was really into, uh, I realized that I had kind of front loaded a film career. Mo most actors or most people, you know, directors or producers, they, uh, they start off small and doing shorts with their, you know, 16 millimeter or their friends for, you know, Ryan calls them pizza and beer movies and, uh, and not meaning you watch the movie eating pizza and beers that's the salary <laughs> like yeah. come work on this movie it's now give me some pizza and some beer uh and they start off and then maybe they get to la or new york or florida and they start making movies and then they do tv shows and then they do you know big studio pictures i did it in reverse and so uh you know i started off in giant network tv shows and movies and i, I realized that uh, not only did i didn't get to do that small local indie phase um so i now have the opportunity that people think it's cool if i'm involved in them <laughs> and you know i get asked a lot to do a lot of really small you know you know things a lot, most of the times i can't do them because i'm not allowed to because they're not you know they don't have the sag paperwork or or, right. or it just doesn't work out or timing or it's just not you just shouldn't do it and um <laughs> but some, you know sometimes there's some neat stuff that you like to be involved in and i started doing that just before covid and started looking into these things a little bit more and realizing that, look, my name's not going to get you half a million dollars in financing by somebody. I'm just not that type of draw. Uh, but what I can do is I can, you know, l lend a name and lend a face and lend some experience. And it makes the, the, the filmmakers and the, the writers and directors, it's, it, it, to them, it's an amazing opportunity and something they'll never forget. And hopefully it, you know, it helps their success or their career and maybe they get to do the next one and maybe i get to be involved in that so i i, I i'm i'm back into look i'll do a big network show absolutely no every day i'll do it so if, you know cbs wants to put me on ncis i'm right there um, <laughs> for the next 15 years that's the, 
One of my good friends is an OG cast member on that show. We were, we're golf buddies. I've known him for oh, that's six or awesome. seven years. and He's been on since season one. I saw <laughs> it's, it forever. It's amazing. Yeah. I'm like, is this show ever going to end? <laughs> um, and for his side, I'm like, I hope it doesn't. But yeah. um, I know he's got other stuff right when it does that's going to crank up because when you're part of that. But, uh, you know, for these, you know, local, like, you know, local, regional, small filmmakers, even if they're in L.A., you know, and they're making small stuff. What, what we ran into over the years is a lot of people will not ask us to be in their movie. They, they don't think we'll do it. And, uh, you know, we go to a festival and I see some cool little comedy or a horror short or, you know, maybe just a straight genre movie that I really dig and I meet the filmmaker. And I always joke. I'm like, Dude, that was I really liked that. That was amazing. Um, I checked my emails. I Maybe the audition email like went into my spam folder did did you have the right email for me? I'm like why didn't you i would have I, what's happening bro and they go oh my gosh i would never ask you to be in my in my movie and i'm like why the hell not we're actors this is what we like to do he's like yeah but you're in the, i was like i don't care like that was rad i would have loved to but even in like associated with your this thing and one of my favorite experiences is, is a kid that I met. Um, we're pals now, but I call him kid because he's probably like 30. And uh, I met him at a party and he was dressed as me for Halloween. So that was <laughs> Oh, my him. goodness. And uh, his name's Adam Murray. And we ended up working together at Nerdist at the same time. And he was doing a short uh, called Joe and the Space Pirates. And I love this little short because they put a lot of work into this. And this little kind of cool short. And uh, he 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 put it on his Facebook page. He's like, Hey, anybody in the Burbank area tomorrow that wants to be dead alien number three. And so I texted him. I was like, address and time. And he's like, no dude, seriously, you don't have to do this. I was like, address and time. And he's like, no, seriously, this is stupid. You don't need to go. I said, address and time. <laughs> so I showed up to this set on his thing. He's working on a savage stage and I do two hours of alien makeup. Oh my God. For a one second shot. Wow. Because I'm dead alien. I get dropped in front of the camera and the guy walks over me and it's over. So I did like two, two and a half hours of alien makeup to be seen for a second. And then it's like an hour taking that shit off. And uh, that I loved it. Uh, There's no, there was no pay on that one. I was doing it for a friend, but uh, you know, this is why people are like, you're not going to do that. I was like, I absolutely did that. And I love every, <laughs> oh, you all, don't have to tell yeah, us anything. You tell me. When people get to, you know, if they have a cool script and they, they actually have a production and they're getting ready to shoot it and I'm able to do it, I will, I, I will, I will look at it. I will investigate it because uh, it's a way to, uh, I don't want to say give back, but it's a way to give back. That it absolutely is. Um, I, I don't want to have to give back. I just want to do, you know, it's like, you know, athletes, you know, they make $250 million for playing third base and like, oh, I'm giving back to my neighbor. I was like, actually, you're not. <laughs> because if you did, you would have taken $25 million and given the other 200 to your neighborhood. Fair enough. <laughs> That's Fair giving enough. back. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, making a little foundation and buying some kids some T-shirts, you know, in your neighborhood ain't giving back. But I don't know, you know, this, this is, I, I can't do much. This is what I can do. And uh, it, it's fun. And if it makes someone's day, then it makes someone's day. And you know, I started doing that back in the back in the two thousands. Like I did a great um, anthology film called Vault of Darkness, which is drastically local and, and campy and fun. And uh, I did a vignette in that, and I'm friends with all the people that made that to this day. 
Uh, and uh, the reason I did that is because this kid named Alan, Adam Hewlin, uh, who's directed a couple things, um, was doing this vignette. And I was low. I was in North Carolina at the time, and they're local. And said, hey, we're doing this thing. Would you want to do it? I said, absolutely. Make sure the paperwork, I can do it. I'm allowed to do it. And I don't get you or me in trouble. And uh, did this little vignette and this little uh, uh, anthology film, which ended up getting released on Amazon two years ago, which is crazy. Oh, wow. And uh, uh, I He's actually just that good of an actor. He just decided. To yeah, he's, he's, yeah he's, he's pausing right now. <laughs> so while we've got a second, um, Andre's signal has crossed a little bit here. Uh, we, I want to encourage everybody go watch the documentary that he made. It really is fantastic. Um, watch the movie. Even if you've seen, not seen monster squad, watch it for the first time. Watch oh, yeah. the documentary to match up. It, it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's an unbelievable movie, unbelievable documentary. Um, we've lost Andre for temporarily. Hopefully he'll log back in. We can tell him. Thank you. Um, Josh G. I want to take a chance to like, you've made a, you've made a, person's childhood dream come true today um I, if you would have told me 30 years ago 35 years ago that i've got the chance to talk to the star of monster squad i, I just it, it doesn't make any sense um you know i, I do yeah. these podcasts for these small moments i know you've you know yep. you've interviewed several you know people in the business and stuff i don't i don't you know um sports is my thing uh but it, it's been absolutely awesome man yeah, and I appreciate you for putting this all together, technically wise, the great background wise, getting it out there to people wise, because that's that's not my forte. So, yeah, no, it, it's it's been great, man. Hopefully, Andre can come back on so we can tell him thank you. Uh, it, it really is a big thing because this is this is what he does. He's got a passion. I mean, he's like I, I can't explain enough to people. This documentary isn't something that you go watch and you're like, oh, it looks like somebody like scraped it together this is right. really it's beautiful it's well put together it's a great story it's an, it's it's a, it's a movie it's it's like watching a movie like he tells a story it through it and for him to donate his time to a couple of you know underground podcasters like us is it was um you know it, it was really really generous of him and awesome and, of him and to a, do that for us a generous amount of time yeah wow, wow, wow. it's been amazing yeah, and, and uh, I, you know, I, there's no way I'm going to cut off the chance to talk to a guy like this no. that that is that is willing to do this. He's going to tell us stories about a life that, like, I, I, like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I, I can never, you know, I can't, you know, I can't visualize, you know, how he grew right. up or any of that. You know, his character Sean from the Monster Squad, which is why all this started that's who I identify with. I don't know what I would have no idea what it's like to be an actor in Hollywood through, you know, all of those years. Um, so for him to share those stories, it's, 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 it was just unbelievable, man. That was, that was super cool for all the monster squad fans out there. Um, you know, you're, you're going to love this. It, it only adds to the mystique of the show. You know, Josh, you know, came along afterwards, but still loves the movie. I was there from almost day one. I love the movie. Um, you can hear it, you know, when we talk about it, you can yeah. hear how much Andre, you know, loves it and how much it meant to him. And, and it's, it's, it's such a huge part of his life, but not the only part of his life. So that was, right. that was really cool, man. Yeah, it absolutely was. And just anybody interested, I just want you to know, this is not just a standard making of documentary. If you go in for that, you yeah. will be disappointed because I've seen some negative comments about it. Oh, and no. I'm like, ah, you're, you're missing the point of what this is. 
Yeah. It's <laughs> better than that. It is. Yeah, exactly. It is, it's, it's, yeah, I, I I don't know how else to explain it. It's for like the fans of the movie. Yep. It tells the it tells the story of it. It doesn't matter, you know, how many people saw it, how much money it made. It tells the story of the people who love something, right. and it doesn't matter how many. Like you know, Josh, you're you're a horror guy. Like the horror movies don't they're not Marvel films. You know, th- right. they don't make three hundred million dollars in two weeks. But that doesn't mean that the people who love them don't love them just as much or that they're not just as good at movies. And that's how Monster Squad fans feel about Monster Squad. Oh, uh, you know, Andre, you know, obviously he got cut off or whatever. Josh will get a hold of him. I'll get yeah. a hold of him. We'll thank him. I like I did. I thanked him before the show started. I always do just in case something like this happens. But just everybody know what a th- this was all. And I, you know, and for you podcasters out there who are listening, Andre did not charge us for this. He did not hold us ransom for this. He, he, this was a genuine interview. Um, a a really, really great person before the show started. He was just as nice. This was not a a business thing. We are not going to get Andre over the top. (laughs) Um, he, he generated, you know, donated his time to us and, uh, I can't appreciate it enough and I will definitely reach out to him and I would encourage everybody to support him in any way facet that you can, because th- this is what the the movie making and this is what fans service should really all be about. Right. And for any podcasters out there that are curious, don't be afraid to reach out. Just do yeah. it. I, mean, I would have never believed this, Josh, until yeah. you asked me, I still, I still, I'm still a little, I still, a I mean, I, I still I, really can't believe it. I did something similar two years ago with the cast from Troll 2. I got David Howard Thornton from Terrifier last year. Just reach out. I mean, you're, you're, you're going to get turned down. You're going to get yeah. ignored. A lot of times it just never, and I'm not saying yeah. they ignore it. They just and don't it see it. It doesn't mean that they're bad people or whatever. No, just they, sometimes I, things, I think sometimes it's just hard for them to see it all, you know, because yeah. they probably get a lot. Yeah. But just reach out because every now and then you're going to get someone that says yes. And and when you get something like this, it's all worth it's, it. It's it's <laughs> ju- it's just unbelievable. Um, I I really think that I'll talk to Andre again. I hope that I hope that I can you know maybe I might do a sports show with him. I don't know. There you um, go. Get him on there in basketball season. Oh my goodness. Just 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 uh, it, it it's so funny, um, how, you know, connected our generation is, and it's it, it was a lot of fun to do that. So Josh, what do you want to finish with, buddy? Before we get out of here. Yeah. No, I think. Yeah, like I said, I'll get in contact with him, and you should too, because he'll definitely respond to you. But this was great. We had a lot of fun. Go check out Jeff. Jeff needs sports. Oh, wait. Andre's back to say goodbye. Oh, is he? He made it back. All right. We we stalled long enough, Jeff. That is awesome. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what happened there, but I ended up switching laptops. It was the only thing that saved it, so it took me a I- few minutes. It's funny. We were, we, we were just saying like how much, like we basically just gushed about how kind you were to do this and how great your documentary was and <laughs> given our goodbyes. So I'm so glad that you made it back in time. Oh um, yeah. Let, yeah. Let's wrap this up then. I'm sure I was, yeah. They were like StreamYard was like, cut this dude off. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, 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 it happens from time to time. I'm a little embarrassed that it happened today, but I don't think I control the infrastructure, but I will take I'll take full blame. No, 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 no. That's fine. I'm, 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 but I, thank look, you. I had a blast. I'm glad I got to, you know, come in and, and hang out with you guys. And hopefully all your kind of followers and listeners, you know, enjoyed the ramblings, but, um, you know, none of it was that, rambling. That's, no. what, like, that's that, what you get. That's what you get. Yeah. No, 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 that, no, it, it, it was, that's what we were saying to our listeners and our viewers is that 
we got to talk about and see a side of the world, honestly, that we, we will never be a part of, like, we're never, I'm, I'm never going to be a child actor in Hollywood. <laughs> so that, these are things that like only, you know, um, right. We, we just want to say I, thanks for donating your time. Um, I, thanks for talking basketball with me for a little while. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, we got to come was, on and talk more than either, either on the air or off the air. You let me know. So it's no, uh, absolutely. I, and I mean that I was, I, I told that to our listeners yeah. off the air. So, um, you know, I, yeah, I just, and, and, I just want to say, Josh, a huge thank. In, oh, say, sorry, sorry. Go, go, go. I just want to say a huge thank for like, if you'd have told me 35 years ago that this would happen, I, I, I wouldn't have believed it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I can't say more than thanks, but I know that from you doing this for all these years, you get how much it means to someone like me. So I appreciate it, Andre. Uh, and I appreciate it. And uh, if you had told me 35 years ago, I wouldn't have believed it either. So uh, <laughs> no, it, it, it's cool that we are, uh, you know, getting to talk about it and connect over, you know, cool technology. And uh, uh, Josh, when I am, um, I missed you in Greenville. I was just there, but uh, I, I will, I will, I didn't know. Uh, next yeah. time we'll go, I'm an iced tea fiend. So we'll go have an iced tea. Um, and Jeff, the best in the South. Are, you are where right now? I, I don't think I asked earlier where you are where? Jeff? Je Jeff's oh, in I'm Ohio. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm in Ohio. He's in Ohio. You're, you're still in Ohio. Okay. Yeah, well, I'm still I, in the, yes, Central Ohio. Okay. Nashport, Ohio. Okay. Um, I will just be, east uh, of Columbus. Just east of Columbus. Got it. I am. Uh, I will be in northwestish Ohio, I believe, in the beginning of September. Um, nice. But, uh, you know, email me. Like, could it, let's, let's talk sports uh, if I can remember anything. And uh, it was so long ago. We can talk. We can talk golf. We can talk golf. It, it, it'll yeah. be you, you it'd be me, my pleasure. And one other listener that forgot to hit off. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, but we'll get together. Stay in touch. Uh, I hope all your, all your followers, your peoples, your peeps, your squad was all um, enjoyed it's, this. This uh, is gonna. Be it's good stories and good fun. And uh, Jeff and Josh are uh, in the goddamn club. Oh, <laughs> holy shit! <laughs> I'm out. I, oh, yeah. that, that's the snippet for the rest. Of my, I may retire from podcasting tonight. I'm, you don't understand. I'm going to be at a bar tonight bragging to somebody about what I just did. And they're going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I'm going to be like, I'm in the goddamn club, aren't I? <laughs> that's right. There you go. That's it. Man, that's awesome, man. What a just, yeah. Sometimes, you know what? You, you talked about a lot. Sometimes things, it's all about timing. Um, I thank Josh so much for inviting me to do this. And I, I appreciate that, Josh. I was the first one that you thought yep. of as you soon are. as you thought of this because I'm like, I didn't, I, I did not shortchange you on how much I love this movie. Nope, nope. That one of our first conversations was I could talk three hours about Monster Squad. Oh, and you just did, and we and just done it. And, we and, it. I, and I said it before you came back, Andre, and I want to say it again. Everybody, at least once a year, I love this as a Halloween type movie. But whenever you choose, watch the movie, watch the documentary back to back. It's it's one of the best three hours ish that uh, uh, of of your life. It's awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, enjoy the movie. It keeps giving. Uh, enjoy the doc if you can. That's uh, you know, it's why we made it. Um, and it's uh, I, I do think it's still fun to watch uh, and introduce other people to it. And it's just fun to you know keep you know getting out there and and talking about it and then talking about other things you know we get to talk about new stuff too so you know yeah. it's, it's a platform and and a door opener and um, absolutely you know you get to meet cool people and now we hang out so it's good yeah hell yeah and andre i want to thank you personally this was awesome appreciate you being so given of your time yeah man so. no i appreciate it. i'm glad it worked out i know we've been working on it for a while and uh you know it's uh 
I've, yeah, I've done this before. I know it takes know. time. Yeah, it, just, I, it means a lot I'm as a podcast. Traveling, so. you know, it means a lot as a podcaster too, though, because like you know the underground guys like us. Like no, I won't say we get stood up a lot, but like things get canceled a lot. People move sure. on a lot. For you to be such a professional and to treat us, you know, w- w- with with that respect, it, it means a ton. It yep. really, really yeah. does. Well, I, I appreciate that, and uh, it 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 you know it means just as much to me and us to get asked you know to to talk about us uh, in and our and our stuff. So it's uh, uh, it's it, it's always fun to, to make to make the best out of it, and uh, I get a kick out of it. So uh, yeah, let's not this won't be the last time. It was the first time, but it won't be the last time. Oh, and we'll get together and um, can't wait. You know, everybody out there, you know, t- take care of yourself. Um, uh, go get checked up. If you think you have yes. issues, go, go get them checked. Um, my my motto since last year is you'd rather be wrong than too late. Um, and, uh, you know, just take care of yourselves. And uh, if you can do one thing, you don't have to have wholesale changes. It's very hard to do that as humans. But, you know, it's 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 all life is about stacking little wins and um, little improvements and if you can just pick one thing and make a little improvement then it's easier to make the next one and you know maybe that you know pick pick what yours is and do that that's your summer homework absolutely great advice great advice all right guys i appreciate it can't wait till the next time absolutely have a good one man all right guys thank you again all right josh again thank you that was a great ending thanks for andre for coming on thanks for andre for coming back yep everybody (laughs) Every single person needs to subscribe to your next favorite movie podcast. You will not be disappointed. There's some wonderful shows on there. Um, you can binge them. That's a great thing. I'm a sports guy. Nobody's going to go back and listen to my highlights of game three of the NBA finals, but Josh's you can, you can download, you can binge, you, you, you know, you can make a, you can make a road trip of it. So I encourage everybody to go do that. Uh, absolutely. One of the best in the business. Well, I appreciate that, Jeff. There's nothing I can really say to that. But if you do like sports, definitely check out Jeff Needs Sports. He is on top of it. He's basically helped create this off the ball network. So <laughs> absolutely. Check them all out. They're all they all do a great job of what they do. And let's get more Jeff Needs help out there. How about that? <laughs> hey, I'm inspired today, man. We're working on it. So on that note, Josh, are you good? I'm good. I'm good, man. All right. Good goodbye and have a great day, everyone.